Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi guys, it's Will here from We Are West Ham. I know we don't usually, but on tonight's show you may hear one or two swear words. We had some extremely passionate guests and the topic we were talking about mainly, of course, the European Super League, drew some equally passionate responses. So if it's not your thing, we totally understand. We'll be back to a cleaner version next week, I promise. You may also notice that the order of the segments is a little bit off, but given the rapidly evolving nature of the European Super League story, on Tuesday night when we recorded it, we felt it would be better to just publish in the order we recorded so it made chronological sense and you can hear the story updating and developing as we recorded and spoke to our individual guests. Enjoy! Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. And since we last spoke, West Ham lost a game to Newcastle. But of course, something far more important than that has happened. 12 billionaires, six of them who are attached to English clubs, driven by nothing but greed, have attempted to steal football from the tens of millions of fans in this country who hold it so dear. But we must fight back, all of us. Tom Edwards is not with us tonight as he's doing just that and attended the fan protest at Stamford Bridge in solidarity with the Chelsea supporters disgusted by the actions of their owners. And James and I stand with them. Indeed, we stand with all fans of all clubs across the country who are rightfully disgusted by this disgraceful act by heartless, soulless, money-grabbing greed merchants. It is me and James Jones here on the We Are West Ham podcast tonight. Of course, there will be some football to discuss But James, it's a rapidly developing story. We're recording this podcast. It's seven o'clock on the nose on Tuesday night as we speak. And the news coming out just now, this has been so swiftly developing over the last couple of days. The Sunday Times broke the story, of course, on Sunday morning. And since then, absolutely loads has happened. We're hearing, as we come on, unconfirmed reports, Jonesy, that Chelsea have already pulled out So it looks like this campaign, this outstanding, heartwarming, encouraging campaign of football fans, media figures and even some players and managers alike is already starting to work. And the foundations, the shaky foundations of this thing are already starting to crumble. And the whole thing looks like hopefully it's going to collapse before it even started. Of course, by if you listen to this podcast later in the week, Uh, This story might have developed considerably already, but that's where we are at the moment, just so you know. Jonesy, it's bigger than West Ham, bigger than even really the the Premier League, but um, just some mind-blowing stuff. What have you made of it? Yeah, it's been a a strange 48 48 hours, really. Um, So many emotions from the initial surprise on, on Sunday night 
to to being upset, to, to anger, to disbelief. Um, and as news is breaking as we speak now, um, hope that actually at least Chelsea sound like they've they've seen the light and hopefully others will follow. I think the reaction around not just England, but I think in Europe, I think the, the feeling is mutual amongst uh, the Spanish and the Italian fans that, you know, this isn't right for football. We're still yet to uh, hear why this is going to supposedly improve football other than that it's going to make, uh, according to Florentino Perez, the fact that it's, it'll be good for footballers because they'll earn more money, which means that they're able to be able to buy the best players from the smaller clubs and therefore give more money back to to the smaller clubs by paying more money for the players. Um, other than that, what a con artist! It's, I mean, if that isn't uh, a reason to be against it, then I don't know what is. Um, it's just it stinks of greed. We all know it stinks of greed. We all knew that potentially at some point there may be some kind of attempt at setting up some kind of breakaway league. Um, but the way it's been done, the way it was sold. Um, or the lack of sell that it had, um, and the fact that it's what 90 percent a closed shop, and it just guarantees the the twelve clubs, you know, dominance, financial dominance, dominance on the pitch forevermore. Even if they fail on the pitch, kind of just goes against the the entire sports ethos. Um, you know, the spirit in which the sports played, not just in Europe, but globally. Um, so hopefully, it sounds like th- things are changing. Um, and it means that the rest of football can can get on with it. But I, I tell you what, even if Chelsea have pulled out, I don't think fans are going to forget this. It's 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 an act too far, I think, for for football fans to ever forget what they've attempted to do at the very least, even if it doesn't go through. Um, and I think they'll they'll feel the consequences of this one way or another, regardless of whether it goes through or not. I I just can't. I, I'm same as you. James, the a mixture of emotions. I think the the saddest thing for me about the whole thing, Jonesy, is that in of all of the emotions that I felt, not a single one of them was surprise. Not a single one of them was surprise or shock in any way. The way the whole world is going at the moment is, you know, orientated towards. It's it's just you know billionaires and billionaire organisations who you can only you only need to go down any high street and I'm not getting on a bleat about the modern world and how things are changing you know to be fair I don't really care that if Debenhams goes bust or that Topshop are only going to be online now but that is the way isn't it of the world at the moment more and more of the wealth is concentrated in the hands of less and less people the same thing has happened with football and you've seen it we've we've heard stories before they had the first meeting in 2016 jonesy some of the owners and executives of these clubs that were involved tottenham weren't included then to be fair they managed to somehow blag their way in um that is the the ultimate the biggest blag of all time they say leave so it's good very obvious why they bought that state where they pay for that stadium isn't it well yeah but i mean very very so obvious they say levy's a good negotiator but how he managed to convince other supposedly rich powerful and intelligent people that tottenham are a super club is absolutely beyond me but we'll mm. go into that a bit later but i sort of you know you could see it coming james with this revamp of the champions league no one was interested in that no one was interested in it. The World Cup having more teams in it. Everything, everything in this day and age 
is driven it seems by money and i i maybe it is just a sign of getting old and because it's funny i, I, I think you know as i'm saying these things oh, do i sound like my dad or my granddad or whatever but the world is the world is changing isn't it and everything it seems these days as i said is is driven purely by financial gain and I, it doesn't feel like the world has always been like that west ham fans know it firsthand from the move to the london stadium there are things on this planet still especially among among you know what I'd, I'd hate to use the word but ordinary people and by that i mean not billionaires i don't mean you know i would consider mark Noble, all these footballers they're all normal people as well or ordinary people they've got a few more quid than me and you have yeah but in terms of scale mark noble and the premier league average premier league footballer are still down at the bottom of the pile with me and you jonesy they're not in the same league as yeah John Henry, the Glazers at, at Manchester United, the state-owned Manchester City, Roman Abramovich, who's you know a, an oil oligarch billionaire, Mark Noble, Marcus Rashford, all these guys are in the same league as me and you, and the, society is going that way anyway. West Ham fans, like I say, saw it firsthand with the move to London Stadium, where that was purely a the the, the things in people's lives that are more important than money to, to ordinary folk. And please don't be offended if you're listening by the term ordinary, but I hope I've explained what I mean by that. Mm. Uh, just those of us who go about and have things in our lives that are more important than money. And this is the most brazen act of scant, heartless, soulless capitalism I think I've seen in my lifetime, people don't care as much. I know they pretend they do when Debenhams goes bust or when Topshop is taken over and they sack off the high street stores or when some of the, their local Italian restaurants taken over by Prezzo's or Pizza Express or ZZ's or whatever. I know people care a little bit, but they don't because there'll always be another pizza restaurant. There'll always be another clothes outlet, but there'll never be another football club for me, for you, for any, for anyone who supports Tottenham, Chelsea, Manchester United, Arsenal, there'll never be another football club for those people. And to take advantage of that there and to be safe in that knowledge and to take advantage and go, it doesn't matter because these people will still keep coming back. That is what tens of thousands of West Ham fans thought David Gold, David Sullivan and Karen Brady did to us. I'm still left with a sense of that. And that leaves you hollow. It leaves people hollow when capitalism wins over those things that matter more than money to people like me and you, our feelings towards Upson Park and towards our football club that can never be bought. Can it? You could mm. never, you could never buy that off of us. And this, this act to say, it's not at all surprised me, but I am so buoyed Jonesy. I don't know about you, but I'm so buoyed and encouraged and I feel absolutely thrilled and delighted with each and every one of my fellow football supporters, the pundits on the TV, even some of the braver players and managers who've come out who are in the most awkward position of all. They've These guys have got, you know, tens of millions of pounds on the line there, the threat of being sacked off. But I am so encouraged by I've never in my adult life, I don't think, seen the country and everyone be so united behind a common goal and i'm delighted so far to see uh it looks like already that that chelsea have pulled out of it yeah i mean the the signs are good already um 
but I think I think you're right in that, that, that they've showed just a a, a a complete disregard for ninety nine point nine percent of of the footballing world. Really, forget that it's a European Super League. Um, they've gone. We, we earn. We're the richest clubs in Europe. Um, so therefore, we believe that we should earn more than what we're already doing because we're the richest clubs in Europe, which you know is a ridiculous concept anyway. But then to just completely disregard the the footballing pyramid, number one, but also the history of so many football clubs that haven't been invited to that table and that wouldn't that may have jumped at the chance given the money on offer, but deep down really wouldn't want to be involved. Um, you know, working clubs that are built on working class roots. Um, and, you know, these billionaires have just rocked up, bought a football club and decided that they're just what they just want to, you know, put all that in the bin and, and you know, every, everything for them. You know, we don't support West Ham United to because we want to be the richest, the most successful club in the world. It'd be nice if we were. But that's not why we fell in love with the football club, and that's what they don't understand about clubs that don't support the clubs that are all, uh, that, that are involved. They don't understand that, you know, fans don't necessarily care whether their club's got the best player in the world, um, you know, or playing against the best teams in the world. They just care about their football club and going to watch them every week, and that is, you know, the the, the essence of being a football fan in this country and probably in the rest of Europe. And they've completely disregarded that whether it's the fact they don't understand it or whether it's the fact they don't care. Um, both um, uh, are crimes on, on the sport and, uh, and on the football fans of this country. And hopefully it, it, it all falls apart and, and the signs are that it will do. And as I said before, if it does fall apart, then I still don't think they're going to get off lightly from the fans. I think a lot of fans, particularly at those clubs, um, will make their feelings heard very loudly with those owners even if it doesn't go ahead um Absolutely. yeah it's gonna be a big backlash regardless absolutely mate and look tom tom's doing that himself tonight he texted us earlier in the day yeah. didn't he and said look sorry lads um you know i know the podcast is tonight but i've i've heard about this protest going on outside chelsea he doesn't live a million miles away from there i think he's in uh he's in hampstead at the moment and he said, you know, I've, I've, I feel like I've got to go and, and hats off to him, you know, fair enough. And uh, Gary Neville has been fantastic on the topic, calling for people to mobilise. And that's exactly what people have, have been doing so far. But look, James, will like I say, this is a rapidly developing story. Another thing that is rapidly developing is West Ham women's WSL survival hopes nil-nil at home to Aston Villa at the moment. It's half time in that game. So uh, I know we're not doing a, a live radio show here, but we'll, uh, you know, as these things are, are updating as we speak, we will update them. Obviously, if you listen to this on Thursday, you'll know a lot of these stuff that happens, but that is the beauty of podcasts and these rapidly developing stories. Jonesy, we'll go into, we'll do, we'll dedicate a whole section to the ESL, uh, European Super League reaction. Uh, I'm going to stop calling it the ESL, actually, because that's already annoying me. I don't want that uh, abbreviation to start getting into my vocabulary so we will do a, a, a section just the two of us and we'll talk about all things european super league uh, whether we should just let them go all the people that are against it is it going to work or not 
it's the time to hit out at Gold Sullivan and Brady like some fans are doing. Will fans of these teams turn their backs on their clubs if it goes through? Is it time to be a 50 plus one like the German football uh, do with fan ownership, that sort of thing. We'll have lots to talk about. And we will go into that in more detail. But before we do that, I will do the bit of housekeeping as I normally do and let you know what is coming up on the show tonight. So do follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. We're on YouTube as well, where you can watch this show and all the individual segments from our show as individual bits. If you just like uh, recapping or you want to see what me and the lads are up to as we record James Jones in a new location this week, he's got the run of the flat because his wife and little boy have gone on holiday. So he's lounging about on his sofa recording the pod instead of in his office. Um, So you can watch that on YouTube. The link to our YouTube channel is in the description of this podcast. Follow us on Instagram as well. And you can buy us a beer and support the pod at buy me a coffee dot com slash we are west ham thanks so much to those of you who donated um chipped in this week i uh, really do appreciate you guys who've done that so far so that's uh, you can do that buy us a beer or support the pod at buymeacoffee.com slash we are west ham and jonesy coming up on the show tonight and you know what it's absolutely crazy to be doing it in a sort of live situation but i've been so looking forward to it all day absolutely loads to talk about so we will go through very next um section of the show the uh no of course sorry james part two we've got our supersonic vip guest haven't we i nearly forgot about then big craig forrest returning guest west ham united goalkeeper of old he's been on the show before he was absolutely brilliant any of you follow craig on twitter if you don't already you certainly should his takes on the European Super League were fantastic, pulling absolutely no punches there. So fair play to Craig. He will be on in part two, West Ham's favourite Canadian. Uh, he also presents a podcast, James, isn't he? The Footy Prime podcast, I believe he does with, um, is it Paul Dicchio or Danny Dicchio? Danny Dicchio. Danny Dicchio. Is there a Paul Dicchio? Have I just got you're, that think, wrong? you're thinking of Paul, Paul Dickov. Paul Dickov, I am. Apologies to uh, <laughs> apologies to Craig there. Um, yeah, so we spoke to Craig earlier in the day. So once again, as I say, this situation is, of course, developing. We spoke to him in the afternoon on Tuesday. So, uh, yeah, it might be that a lot of the things Craig has said have already been decided by the time we get to the end of the show, let alone the time the podcast goes live. But, yeah, Craig Forrest there, former West Ham goalkeeper and uh, does the Footy Prime podcast. Uh, he's on in part two. We'll have the general ESL European Super League reaction. James, you're going to have to have a go at me every time I say ESL because I am going to do it a few more times. But we'll have the uh, just some detailed reaction from me and James after that. The Betway charity bets are, of course, back. Unfortunately, no wins last week because naturally we all backed West Ham to beat relegation fodder. Newcastle, that didn't happen, so all of our bets fell to bits. But we'll have our selections for the Betway Charity Bets ahead of the Chelsea game this weekend. Dave Chigi from the Chelsea Fancast will be on for the opposition view. Loads to speak to Chigi about with the European Super League. The protest tonight and the game, of course, at the weekend that is going on among all this. No time for name that game, but you know what? We've got so much to cram in. I don't think we'll miss it. But as you know, we can't do it when one of us isn't here. No, Tom, tonight. And then we'll wrap up with the West Ham women. And by that stage, their game against relegation rivals Aston Villa will have finished. And if they manage a win, nil-nil at half-time, 
of course, at the moment. If they manage a win, that is pretty much their WSL status confirmed for next season, we think. And then, of course, we'll say goodbye, we'll wrap up, and we'll probably have to update you on everything else that has changed as far as the European Super League go by the end of the show. But lads, uh, not lads, actually, James, just James, no Tom. It's an excellent one uh, tonight. I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in. And uh, next up, you'll hear from Craig Forrest, the interview we did with him earlier today. So you're still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. I'm delighted to say we're joined once again, a returning guest, West Ham's favourite Canadian, certainly a cult hero among Hammers fans. And he somehow managed to go up even further in my estimations uh, at the weekend with his tweets about the new European Super League. So Craig Forrest, delighted to welcome you back. We have to start there. So what were your first reactions to that? Obviously the story has developed somewhat since it first emerged on Sunday. But uh, before I ask you what you've made it, or I will just issue a swearing warning to all of our listeners of the We Are West Ham podcast, because if your Twitter was anything to go by, Craig, you were not happy. <laughs> um, I think it was pretty much universal uh, amongst uh, real football uh, supporters. Um I live in Canada, next door to the United States. And unfortunately, I think the United States and Americans have had a big part, big role in this. Um, what is going on? Uh, is it greed? Yes, all the words have been used. Um, uh, what has really impressed me um, in between all these moments of just absolute just rage is the fact that not one person, no individual is bigger than our sport. And that is a good thing. But collectively, the fans, the working class, for the most part, the fans of the sport can do something in the short term here um, that is so powerful that even these groups of billionaires that are trying to control our game to a way of taking competition out of it and destroying the system itself which isn't perfect, we know, but it's a system that gives pageantry, theatre, the chance of West Ham playing in the Champions League. That's what it's all about. It's not about playing in the Champions League every year. It's about earning it on merit. And anyway, collectively, we're doing this, I think, fans, and you see social media and how it's an uproar. You've got Marcus Rashford tweeting this morning a picture uh, with a Busby saying about the game is nothing without fans. It's, it's been seen by millions of people in just three hours. Uh, Pep's comments about it. Man City are rocking right now. I'll tell you that much. They're rocking. Chelsea are another one that are rocking. And if they start to implode, we're going to see this thing fall apart and it needs everybody collectively, especially the clubs that have been picked and chosen just because of their power structure to be part of this. Those fans are more important than even everybody else at this moment. Absolutely. I mean, you tweeted Craig uh, among several things and I'll be honest, it was, it was, brilliant to see and and you mentioned there it needs everyone to come together and you're totally right but then former players like you your profile is naturally 
that little bit more elevated than uh, than some of us guys. And I think it's it's vital. Obviously, the current players, it's really important. But it was really refreshing from my perspective. I'm not just saying it because you're on and, uh, you know, we get on. But I, it was really refreshing <laughs> to see you just coming out and saying it how it is. It's one, uh, one of, that caught my attention uh, after Sky Sports News tweeted it. You just retweeted it. It said, disgrace. It's a billionaire's playground. Playground. This has American influence written all over it. Cronky at Arsenal, Glazer at Man United, John Henry at Liverpool can all F right off. Uh, throw in JP Morgan as well. Leave our football alone. It's survived and flourished just fine without America for over a century. You, you obviously a little bit closer to that in, in Canada. Obviously a completely different nation, of course, though geographically close. What can you tell us from the American perspective on this, uh, obviously the, the, the guys involved are somewhat known to football fans in England, but just from a, from a cultural point of view, can you shine any light on it from, from that, uh, like the perspective of, of over the Atlantic over there? Well, certainly from a cultural uh, point of view, the likes of Henry and Glazer and uh, Cronkey have no idea and cannot get their head around relegation and promotion. They they own uh, teams in Major League Baseball and in the National Football League. They control that completely. There's no relegation, of course. And when you look at the NHL, even when I'm talking from a Canadian standpoint, the NHL wants to grow. It's got no friggin' chance of growing. First of all, you have to be upper middle class because it costs you literally thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to play ice hockey. Ice time, pads, all these different things. Equipment is incredibly expensive. It cannot be for everybody it's not for the minorities it's not for the immigrants that come to canada and that is controlled by the white bureaucrats the white corporate country uh, companies in canada that's how sport is controlled here soccer football is hardly even seen on on regular television here you need to get the zone you need to get one soccer or media pro of the spanish company which is fine but there's no growth here and that's where i'm trying to fight for it from this country standpoint that guys like Alfonso Davies, we have finally a superstar in a, in a top 11 and picked in the world. And the national team played the other day, a couple of weeks ago, the national team probably would have only had about six or 7,000, maybe watched it on this one particular app. How does that, how does Alfonso Davies not exposed to our youth because our young hockey players are exposed every other night on television. So from that standpoint, it's been very, very difficult. So the money of these of uh, zone is, is almost hurt our sport here in, in this country, in the States, the game's doing well. And I got to say that generally speaking, European soccer fans, football fans in the United States, will be against this as well. The real ones, not the ones that are just fly-by-night Real Madrid fans and, you know, oh, Liverpool fans because they won the title last year. No, no, the real fans are against it as well. And it's good to see a little bit of a fight back that I've seen some some, some of the journalists in the United States about that. And they also realize that they're going to get some flack because it is American-backed. So no question Henry and Glazer and Gazidis at AC Milan uh, are behind us. Craig, Sort of going off your your own experience as a as a former Premier League player, have you got any idea of roughly what the the players must be thinking? Obviously, you've already mentioned that you've heard from the likes of Rashford, obviously Milner, 
spoke, mm-hmm. Patrick Bamford spoke um, after their game last night. And um, I've seen quotes from Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but I'm not too sure whether they are legit. But he basically goes, you know, if you're going to stop the pain for my country, and I'll just move clubs. Ronaldo will move clubs. Messi will move clubs. Um, but it's quite clear that these players and the managers weren't told or weren't given enough time to, or enough information to, to speak to the media about this. You know, how, how do players react when something like this happens? Obviously, this is unpre- unprecedented, but when there's news that oh. breaks at a football club and then, and then they kind of find out on the, in the dressing room and then suddenly they've got journalists yeah. with a dictaphone in their face, how do they react to it? Um, I mean, I can't speak for them, but I will, I will yeah. speak from the dressing rooms that I've been in, um, even going back to the late 90s. Do you remember when the... Uh, the owners of uh, the Premier League were, wanted to cut the percentage of money that went to the Professionals Footballers Association that went to, you know, players that were injured, uh, pension plans, all these different things that were were not only for the Premier League, because they were saying that the fees were getting so high. Those percentages and what that money went to our union for were not just for the top end. That went right down to the bottom. And we were prepared, the Premier League players, if you remember, you guys might be too young, but the late 90s, the Premier League players were almost 100% united to strike against this proposal because it wasn't just about the Premier League players. It was about everybody else. In fact, David James, unfortunately, one of the West Ham players, was one of the only one or two people that voted against it. But that's another story. And he took some flack from the players inside for that decision. Why? Because it was, we were telling him it's not a decision for the rich. It's not, we're not talking about any of this coming back to us as Premier League players. It's the rest of the leagues that are going to benefit from this. We need to protect Mm -hmm. them. And the player players generally in the Premier League come from working class backgrounds. They have an understanding Mm -hmm. socially and what it means culturally to be part of that fabric of a community. That it doesn't exist in North America. They're franchises. You can pick them up and move them from city to city. That's that the doesn't most happen. Bizarre thing, They're dealing it? with a completely different world and they don't get it. And that's what infuriates me. They've underestimated not only the power of the football fans and the working class that this is one way we can push billionaires around because if we collectively get together, we can do it in other ways too, but it just shows you how powerful this sport is. Craig, James has touched on that. I think that's a really intriguing one. Uh, we've we've seen little bits from players and, and you know, to the tweet from Marcus Rashford, it's good to see. It was brilliant to hear Milner just come out and say, I don't like it last night. What fans would obviously in an ideal world want players to rush out and say, yeah, I, I'm not going to do this, blah, blah, blah. If the figures that the, the Super League were talking about uh, and the sort of money they've got coming in. In reality, those players at those big clubs face wage increases. And I know people will be quick to say, I can already hear them saying it, they're on so much money already. But, it, you know, it's just a, it's a case of scales, isn't it? Mark Noble, for example, probably averaged 50 grand a week throughout his career. He's got a nice, nice house in uh, near Shenfield in, in Brentwood, uh, you know, three million quid and a few businesses going on and a very nice life for his family. Thanks very much indeed. That is different wealth to Lionel Messi, who's getting in and around one to 1.5 million pounds per week. It's a different type of wealth. So I'm not one of those who go, oh, you should just be happy you're earning more money than the rest of us. I understand that players are going to think, well, you know, and, and as they do, Oscar is a prime example for Chelsea when he went over to China and he, in a lots of fans opinion, gave up the competitive element of it. He went and played in a you know, meaningless sort of league for exorbitant wages. 
how many do you think um you know just your opinion of course of the players at the moment will be sitting tight thinking i'll have some of that because i i just want if it's going to bring them more money those big clubs i'll have some of that i'm not bothered whether i don't play in the fa cup or the carabao cup anymore um you know then even if the premier league's a secondary contest i'll have that double your money wages even if they're already on 200 grand a week Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not naive to think that that wouldn't happen. We know that there's players out there will do that. And, uh, and from an Oscar point of view, when he went to China, um, he made comments about that, that, you know, and the reasons why he did it. Mm. And it's different for Brazilian players. When you look at a lot of them and where they're coming from and the poor backgrounds that they come from, not only are they supporting themselves and their families, they sometimes support communities. it's more than just football to them and it's more than just competition for me i knew i'd always have food on a plate i was always going no no why would somebody do that your whole life you're trying to get yourself to the top of the the pyramid the premier league you're there and then you make this decision but we also have to think about you know being in their shoes and, and the differences so you'll always get them uh players to play if that league is around and they're offering double the money you're going to see the best players play there. That's not, there's, that's not, there's just you no think doubt all about of, that. Do you think, honestly, all of them, or even with the international bands and all that sort of thing, do you really think that it will be a, across oh, the Oh, I know that's a different situation. I'm just saying that if it was all things were equal and the league, the Super League goes ahead, um, all that. Now, will they leave because of the internationals and still take the money? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I really don't generally. I honestly believe this is going to collapse, lads. I really do. And, and it might not be just the fans. It might also be the fact that the government gets involved. What can yeah. the government do? They might be the best ones to do that. Do they revoke work visas to players? This is how they can stop it. It's going to collapse. And, and it might just be the governments that do it. And the pressure that they put on them is the reason to do that. The only thing is, down the road, you know, when they're negotiating with UEFA and whatever, they're, you know, UEFA has got to bend over for them. And that, that's perfectly you know, going to happen. We know that's going to happen. But I think this Super League is going to collapse. And I think it's the power of the fans. And it's the support because of the fans that the governments have got involved that will put an end to this. Craig, where's the... Where's the the compromise then? You know, if you think it's going to collapse, and I think we're all very very hopeful that it, that it will. Um, where's the compromise? Uh, Florentino Perez has come out and said that the reason why they've done this is because um, they feel as though the Champions League is has gone stale and it needs reform. <laughs> yeah, um, right. UEFA have UEFA have done that, um, and they were doing that, um, but apparently they they weren't happy with it, which is why they've done this breakaway Super League and announced it the day before. UEFA announced the, the the new Champions League format with the Swiss style um, uh, rules. Ha, ha, where's the the compromise? Given that UEFA have gone ahead with those re, that restructured Champions League, but it seems as though the 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 the, the dirty dozen, as they're now called, are kind of sticking to their guns and going, "Well, no, actually, we're, we're going to carry on doing what we're doing." How, where's the middle ground? Can you see it? Can you see where it is? Well, I think that the owners will say, and maybe they had meetings about this, that if this, if it doesn't actually take and it doesn't go over well, uh, at least this puts us in a very good bargaining position with UEFA, that we actually were, we were actually prepared to take that next step and we were going to do the Super League. 
it was it was no doubt about it. It was no longer a threat. So they were just renegotiate and make sure that they make sure that they get the big chunk of the pie. And the Champions League, to some extent, uh, is stale. I mean, the way it's set up, I mean, let's face it, when you get down to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, you pretty much get the same customers every year. You know, there are there are the powerful and most of those Super League teams, most of them are very powerful uh, financially. I mean, Barcelona, they're complaining and saying that, that the pandemic Barcelona say the pandemic had to do with the, you know, the finances. It's nothing to do with the pandemic. Well, it has something to do with the pandemic, but it, they've just been poorly managed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just find it baffling because you like you've said there, Craig, they already get, it's already always those teams in the last eight of the Champions League most seasons. Anyway, obviously not Arsenal or Tottenham because the ridiculous jokers can't even get into the tournament. So what on earth makes them think <laughs> that they're in any way super clubs is, is absolutely laughable but craig on the just back towards um matters on the pitch we might uh, wrap up with a couple more european super league ones but while we've got you uh lucas fabianski a man who obviously played in your position he's done it with absolute distinction this season only last week ahead of that newcastle defeat me and the lads were heaping praise on him just saying what an unsung hero he's been this season everyone else getting a lot of plaudits rightfully so and he's gone about his business and I think he's played the best football he has in a West Ham shirt. A mistake at the weekend, very uncharacteristic, normally pretty good with his hands. Newcastle seemed to have uh, planned it before because they had a couple of balls uh, that they'd swung in quite close to him with a lot of players around him before the one that he uh, unfortunately dropped to Joe Linton's feet. He came out and apologised after the game. That seems to have split fans. Uh, so first of all, what, what did you make of the of the mistake at first? And secondly, that apology, I certainly didn't think it was deserved at all. Some fans like to see it. So what did you make of that as well? Well, I, I, I thought the apology was something you don't see very often. And I don't think it's necessary. Um, it's almost like you're apologising for something you had a week to decide on. Uh, it's a split second thing <laughs> football's mistakes uh these players and the, the ability and what they're trying to do and the pace of the ball and just you know uh bodies in around you i know how difficult it is and mistakes are are, are always happening even to the best of them and fabianski has been consistently consistently uh, a brilliant goalkeeper i mean he he has shown incredible character to go from you know back is forgotten is hard to change these type of things when they called him Flabianski, he was with when he was with arsenal and he had made some mistakes there it shows a great character from where he's gone and where he is now and how successful and consistent he has become so mistakes you know he made that one it's like okay fine you know it, it's not about mistakes it's how you deal with them and obviously at this level you can't make many of them um, or that's, that's really the difference between the great goalkeepers, the Premier League goalkeepers and ones that can stay there for, for years is the consistency. The managers want somebody that's going to be consistent, do it without making mistakes. They want to have confidence in you and that's it. And he has given that to every manager that he's played under uh, at West Ham. He's been absolutely brilliant. And if he wants to hold up his hands and, and, and say and be accountable for making a mistake and say sorry for it, just shows even better character for him. There's no reason to criticize him over that whatsoever. Totally. Craig, obviously, given that Fabianski is 36 now, uh, signed a new deal last month, actually, until the end of uh, the end of next season. Do you, th- do you think that maybe that's 
that could be the club in, within mind going, okay, well, next season, you're, you're probably going to be number two. Uh, and they might be looking to replace him with a with a younger alternative in the summer. Or do you think that that extra one deal, he's got it in him, even at the age of 36, he's got it in him to, to still be West Ham's number one and still perform consistently at the highest level that he has been, barring, obviously, the mistake last weekend? Well, that's the interesting one, because you never really know when that tipping point is going to come in your career, when you're you're just not going to you know feel like you did uh, in your prime. Uh, you know, you get in your mid thirties, early thirties is really like in your prime as a goalkeeper, in my opinion, you feel confident, your head's in a good space. You just, your highs are not as high, your lows aren't as low. You just, you've been through more things. Um, so I don't think he's going to have any problem with one more year. And I, and I think he, he could end up doing two or three, but again, you don't know when that is. I came into West Ham when Ludo, uh, was, on you know getting older i remember ludo was there for years and he i think he showed up at west ham when he was 30 he didn't get out of the czech czechoslovakia as it was called then until he was 30 he missed most of his best you know his his younger years uh playing there um but you know and then all of a sudden you saw ludo start to make mistakes and and not be quite as sharp uh, as he was when he was in his prime and that was a hard decision i think for harry at the time he gave ludo a few extra games here and put him in when i was thinking that uh i was deserving of getting the start but i totally understood it ludo is a freaking legend and he and he's such a good goalkeeper such a good human being and it was a great west ham servant and just a, an absolute gentleman and he deserved all those opportunities uh, that harry gave him at the end of his career to to keep playing what is it then craig in go obviously you know out on pitch you notice because as we're probably seeing with mark noble at the moment you lose a lot of yard of pace his touch and all that sort of thing is is no different really nor his passing ability as such it's just his pace but what is it when you're a keeper that you notice because obviously your, your pace you don't need quite as much unless you're rushing out but what what is it that that makes yeah. you go ah oh, no no I've, I've i've got to pack up here or i've got to drop down a level well, Shaka kind of hit it on the head when he was playing and he went to MLS for a year there in Dallas or something. And I was talking to him, I was how it was going. And he said, he says, big man, he says, in training, he goes, I go to die for four balls. And he goes, one every four, my legs don't work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right. Yeah. And he goes, that's not a good thing. And I was like, no, it's not a good thing. So, uh, you know, so things like that, uh, recovery from injuries, um, get longer. You can't quite get over one injury before you get another one. And yeah, it just becomes, yeah, it, it's interesting because when you're young, you just don't see it coming. You just feel like you can play forever. And then just slowly, but surely, you know, things start to change and happens to everybody, but different times. And also players that rely on pace careers will end uh, quickly or quicker. Mm. Um, and ones uh, that don't uh, can play for quite a long time. Like a Paolo Di Canio. I mean, Paolo was never overly quick. But so he could play forever because when the ball was at his feet, he was a genius, absolute genius. He could get a half a yard on anybody. He could play, you know, forever doing that type of thing, you know. So it's uh, it depends on whether you're you're relying on your pace or your engine to get up and down the field. And if you're playing in midfield, that's a that's a pretty hard position um, these days uh, when you're asked to do so much physically in the Premier League. 
Yeah, of course. Well, look, I mean, you know, Oliver Kahn, Gigi Buffon, some of the greatest keepers ever, Dino's off. They've all gone well into their 40s, so no reason uh, right. to say Fabianski couldn't, and he's not showing it. Craig, just on the pitch then, the, we obviously we don't know whether it'll even matter at all where West Ham finish. We might even end up finishing first when all the rest of them get slung out and uh, <laughs> we're going to get crowned Premier League champions. But um, assuming that the, the season is going to carry on as usual, a little blip on the copybook, uh, blot on the copybook, excuse me, at the weekend at Newcastle. But how do you, how do you see it playing out between now and the end of the campaign? Um, let's be fair. It's a really difficult one to figure out. I mean, I'd just be guessing and I'd be thinking, I'm thinking with my heart here. And, and I think, you know, the results keep going West Ham's way, even with that result on the weekend. Um, you know, they battled back so well, you know, it's, oh, it was frustrating, but anyway, uh, they're in it. And would you take this position is what they should be saying to themselves at the start of the season when, you know, they started with Newcastle at home, lost, then had this incredibly difficult um, schedule. Remember that? They had Man City, Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, all in a row. Every West Ham fan must have been horrified thinking, where are we going to be after this stretch of games? So they're in a position that is just incredibly positive. They got to take that. They're in with a shout. They've got a chance and uh, they've been absolutely brilliant and surprised and, and really, I got to say it really overachieved in many ways. Um, Moyes has done an incredible job and proved himself again. Um, how good a coach he actually is if he's given time. Absolutely. Right, just, just, just one more on the, on the super league. Um, where do you see, where do you see the the the, the immediate future lying? Is, is this something that we're going to see from August? Which I think, as they said in there, they've, they've said in one of their statements that they want it to come from August. Or, or is this going to be a, an argument that's going to roll on for a number of years before we see uh, any kind of football played under that under that new format and new league? Uh, well, that's a hard one to know. I think that they will happen is they'll renegotiate the UEFA deal and go back into the Champions League with a cushy deal over the next few years. It'll go under the carpet again. Let's face it. Nobody even knew what was going on. These guys are all talking behind. Like, no, where, where are they? They don't even see them. Like, But they're all having conversations together behind the scenes. But they're discussing nothing with the managers, nothing with the greats like Alex Ferguson. You know, nothing with those players. They put them in incredibly difficult positions. I think that this should be a wake-up call to the Premier League, and I've always been against these foreign owners coming in and sport washing or using it as a playground for the, the rich and uh, billionaires because it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. And that's what's happened now. The Glazers come in, the Henrys come in, Kroenke comes in, you let Abramovich come in, the Arabs come in the, up in Man City. Newcastle nearly was taken. They need to vet these better. Mm. Germany have got it right. And I've always said that. 50 yeah. plus one. I think there's only mm -hmm. Leverkusen and Wolfsburg. I think those are the only two clubs that aren't actually owned 51% by the fans. So the fans mm. actually matter. They matter in this decision makings. And that's why we haven't so far seen any German clubs get into this Super League. And without Bayern Munich in the Super League, you can never call it that. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. What a sham yeah. that makes it. Craig, absolutely delighted to have you on. And it's really refreshing hearing what you've got to say. I enjoyed it on Twitter the other day, but it's uh, it's to even better <laughs> Thanks, having you on here and, and uh, hearing it straight from you, direct to what you thought. The uh, Obviously, the... the um, 
transatlantic point of view coming in from Craig there. Very important to note that he is Canadian, not American. So very different indeed. And <laughs> obviously great to hear what, you know, what you feel like it might have been like from a dressing room point of view. Look, Craig, we will let you go because we've had you for, uh, for, for much longer than we said, and we really appreciate it. And you'll have to have a beer with us as soon as uh, lockdown allows it and the travel restrictions, you'll have to get over here, come and have a beer and something to eat. And we'll go to a game together and, uh, and you can give us the, the lowdown on what, what they're all thinking and hopefully Fabianski's still in goal when we do well you never know Fabianski's still in goal and we might maybe I'll come over and uh hear the Champions League anthem at West Ham that would be something else <laughs> exactly mate exactly well look Craig Forrest there former West Ham goalkeeper we really appreciate you giving up your time again for the We Are West Ham podcast <laughs> So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast and what a couple of days for football. What a night of football news this is to be recording on. I'm going to let you in behind the curtain here a bit. I know me and James normally let you into our production secrets, but we spoke to Craig Forrest earlier in the day on Tuesday. We've now got Dave Chidgy, friend of the show, friend of ours as well from the Chelsea Fancast joining us to do the opposition view. You normally hear this as part four of the podcast. But uh, we're recording it just after the intro, just as the news is breaking that Chelsea, it appears, have pulled out of the European Super League. Where we saw scenes, as we've mentioned, Tom was uh, is over there in solidarity with the Chelsea fans, which is why he couldn't do tonight's podcast, protesting against this European Super League and the greedy money-grabbing move that it is. I'm delighted to say we've got Chigi on with us tonight. Chigi never backward in coming forward with his views. Uh, it be brilliant to hear from him. Chigi, wonderful to speak to you, mate. What circumstances? Normally, we'd be looking forward to a, a bit of rivalry, a bit of rib in between all three of us ahead of that London derby that we both so love. Well, we will talk about that very briefly at the end, but just talk to us. You're a fan of Chelsea, of course. One of the clubs signed up with the Super League on Sunday or when the news emerged on Sunday already appears Tuesday night at half past seven that you've pulled out again. Just talk to us, mate. Talk to us. What have you made of the whole thing? What do you make of them pulling out now? Just tell me whatever you want to say about the whole matter. Mate, I mean, you know, we need five hours on this and a very healthy session in the pub, no doubt. But, I mean, I think to, to start at the end rather than at the beginning, I mean, I, I, I'm i down in Winchester these days with a pretty hectic job, so I couldn't get up to where I really wanted to be tonight, which was at Stamford Bridge with thousands of Chelsea supporters, but more to the point, or hundreds of Chelsea supporters. More to the point, though, you make, you know, your mate Tom's there and... I think that that to me says it all, and I know that there were there were fans of all sorts of clubs out there tonight, all protesting about the same thing. Which I was trying to explain to my wife because uh, I kind of came in with a bit of a grin on my face, having heard the news that Chelsea have decided to pull out of this Super League. And uh, I said to her, I said, "What you don't understand? Why I've been, you know, quite grumpy and also very busy for the last few days, is that this is the biggest thing that's happened in football since the Premier League was formed." And it, and it threatened to kill football as we know it, not just for us, the Chelsea, who might have been kicked out of the Premier League, the FA Cup, all the things that we hold very dear, but it would have affected everybody. West Ham, uh, you know, Burnley, Wolves, Leeds, you name it, everybody is would have been screwed by this. And it was venal and it had to bloody well stop. 
And I'm sick to death of the crooks in this game who think that it's all about entertainment and branding and global marketing, stealing the game from us because we own the game, not them, and they can do one. I'm trying to keep it as polite as I can. Well, you can see I'm struggling a bit, but they can do one. And I think tonight we've scared the bejesus out of Chelsea, not for the first time. They tried this on, on uh, with the uh, Chelsea pitch owners when they tried to grab that from us just done a, about just about 10 years ago. And we stood up to be counted then and we've done it again. And I, I tell you, I am bloody proud of my club supporters tonight, I have to say. Yeah, I, I bet you are, Chidgy. And we were just saying the same thing as we kicked off the podcast. That's what I've said. I've never been prouder to be. It's a strange, divisive time we live in at the moment. And I haven't seen unity like it among not just football fans, but politicians coming together. The future kings come out and backed it. It's everyone bar these six greed, money-hungry billionaires. So I'm totally with you on that point, Chidgy. What... Talk to me then quickly. I know James has got a load of questions for you as well, but talk to me quickly about that relationship with uh, the, the the owners, as you've mentioned there, because Chelsea and Manchester City, I would say, and do correct me if I'm wrong, of course, I would say have a very good relationship with their owners and you know are, are pleased and proud of, of what they've done. I think they've both managed to maintain the ethos of your respective clubs as much as you can when just pouring offensive amounts of money in in order to to and you'll forgive me for this but to buy success and i know you've got to do it sensibly and uh, you know i've got everybody buys success well yeah exactly exactly so that's not offensive you're right i'm not going to argue with you yeah i'm not trying to slant it on you so i would suggest that that chelsea have a good ownership uh, relationship with with abramovich what is that right and what has this done to that relationship I mean, you know, Roman, for very obvious reasons, gets a very, very, you know, big pass from Chelsea supporters because we're not idiots. We do realise that without his his largesse, I mean, his one and a half billion that he's pumped into the club, probably more, actually, we we would never have, you know, you know, you know, as, as football supporters, you, you know what the joy of winning something is about. You can't, you can't, I, mean, I say you can't buy that. I mean, as a supporter, you can't buy that. Clearly, as an oligarch, you can. But, you know, the greatest, <laughs> night, of my, greatest night of my life was in Munich in 2012. It won't ever get better than that. And we would have had none of that without Roman Abramovich. So he gets a very massive pass. Probably lucky to do so, to be frank. Because don't be under any illusion. Whatever happens at Chelsea has, has got Roman's fingerprints all over it. And I include sacking Frank Lampard in that. You know, it's Roman's club. You know, what he says goes. What he wants happens. Um, There's very little love, having said that, for the board at Chelsea, who are seen for exactly what they are, a mixture of lawyers, bankers, oil execs, marketing people. I mean, Guy Lawrence, for example, um, his history is in running, uh, you know, he was the CEO of Vodafone. He's run big broadcast networks in the States. He was the... CEO of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. So he's run big sports franchises in the States. So he is universally loathed by everybody. Um, but they, none of them, none of them will. know one end of a football pitch from the other. They know nothing about football. They know a lot about making a very successful global brand and business, but they don't know anything about football. And they certainly don't know anything about supporters or the history or the tradition or the culture 
of that support and of, of that club. Otherwise, they would never have got involved with this European Super League in the first place. Huge. If we if we go back to before Chelsea pulled out, what would that have meant for you as a Chelsea fan? It's a really good question, James. It's nice to see you haven't moved since you were on BBC London about an hour ago. <laughs> oh, you saw it then? <laughs> I did actually. No, because I came in to kind of you know try and catch up what was was going on, and 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 there you were. Um, big TV star, Chidge. We get all the big names on this I, I, podcast. Yeah, mate, I, well, I, I, I'm just, starstruck. I'm going to piss on uh, James's strawberry uh, patch and say, well, I was on there yesterday, mate. So sorry. <laughs> He's beat you to it. Well, I'm still bottom of the pile because I haven't been on there at all. So well played you two. I feel like star quality <laughs> oozing out of the airwaves here. Well, Will, you ask a great, you ask a great question, mate, because we, we did a monster show on the fan cast last night. I mean, I was going to do 20 minutes on it. It ended up being an hour and 20 just on the European Super League. And I had some real old lags there. I mean, I think between us, we're talking about, I mean, my maths isn't very good, but I mean, approaching 250 years of supporting Chelsea. You know, we had Dave, who, who Ari Up Dave, who does the, the CFC UK fanzine on there. We have Marco Worrell, who's written 20 books on Chelsea. Right. So we're talking about as blue blooded as it can possibly get. I mean, I felt like a bloody Johnny come lately, mate, in that company. And uh, and we all said, if this goes through and Chelsea can't play in the Premier League or the FA Cup or they're just, or, you know, basically it's all just going to be European. So we'd give it up. We'd long it off because there is no point. It's mm. it, it basically, excuse my French, pisses on the entire reason why we support that club and and we are not alone a lot of people i mean you know we're all apparently i don't know if you've been reading about this but i mean you me all of us lot we are now legacy fans yeah <laughs> we, are, we are not the fans for the future we're legacy well there's a reason we're legacy fans because we understand the culture of the club and we believe in it and if the club don't believe anymore then they're not our club it ceases mm-hmm. to be a football club and if it ceases to be a football club, you ain't going to go anymore. Do yeah. you think how would that how would that have affected? Because uh, this is, I think, it's some, one of the one of the many million dollar questions, mate, with this whole thing. Was basically these blokes. I mean, perhaps perhaps I'm giving them too much credit, but they're billionaire, intelligent, powerful, resourceful people. They don't do things by accident. They do everything very deliberately. It's all researched, backed accordingly. This isn't a, you know, they had the first meeting about this or representative from the clubs in 2016. Another one in 2017 when they were snapped coming out of the Dorchester in London. There was no doubt more in between that. They just were sensible enough not to get papped while they were doing it. Now, the million dollar question or one of them, I find, is... If fans wouldn't have gone, would they just have been, would they have cared or would they have just gone, yep, all right, Chigi, people like me and you and James and my dad and your mates and anyone of the same ilk, my friends who go to Tottenham, uh, Arsenal, you obviously Chelsea, uh, those up at Man City, blah, 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 who wouldn't have gone anymore, who'd gone, nah, turn my back on it, which several, especially my Tottenham mates, all said that, just say, nah, I'm not going anymore. If that had happened, do you think they would have been like, happy days, because we'll just get them awkward, forgive my French bastards out my hair, 
those ones who know all the history and want and expect lots more from us. And we'll just be able to fill it up with tourists who fancy a day out at the footy when they're on holiday or whatever. And just want to see a Harlem Globetrotters style friendly game. Do you think they would have cared, Chigi? Or conversely, do you think they would have absolutely flipping loved it if fans like you, me and James, obviously we're West Ham, so it wouldn't have affected us. But those fans who've gone and care about the club deeply and who are a voice of the club to lots of fans, you've got a big platform with the Chelsea fan cast there. Your voice is widely heard and in lots of cases, not all I'm sure, Chigi, but respected. And <laughs> with, you know what I mean? With that, what, how do you see that? Do you think they would have right, cared yeah, or do you think no, they would well, have found it a bonus? No, you're, you're absolutely spot on, Will. I mean, I've been writing about this and saying this for years, that, that, that they, they, they want us out. They see us as bed blockers because, you know, we might we think that spending 880, 900 quid on... Um, a season ticket every year is is keeping the club alive. Well, that 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 concept disappeared twenty years ago. Mm. You know, absolute nonsense. You know what they want is that in an, in their ideal world, they'd have forty two thousand different people in 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 the stadium every other week. Mm. You know, who would pay premium prices for tickets, who would spend a ridiculous amount of money in the mer- in, in the merch shop, and all of that. And we won't. You know, and 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 we we tell them what they don't want to hear, and we embarrass them publicly and, and and coat them off in private to their faces as well you know they don't want us and the other thing will if you look at uh, Chelsea's um, accounts in the in the wonderful Deloitte Football League which comes out every year <laughs> yeah really I mean Chelsea's match day revenue is is is, is said to be about 20 percent of total revenue well in reality 10 percent of that 20 percent is corporate so, uh, so therefore, people like me contribute ten percent of Chelsea's revenue. Now, we're, we're getting into the realms of marginal profitability there. So, we are not important as a revenue stream for that club. In fact, far from it. We're quite the opposite. We are we are an irritant, and that's what they mean by legacy. They want us gone. They want us to be a historic legacy. You know, and that's what it's all about. The money in the game now is made from building your club into a global brand. And pushing that brand across the world so that you make revenue from some poor, innocent kid in India who's decided to follow Chelsea because he likes the colour blue, who will never come to the stadium. Now, I'm not saying that they're wrong. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged because of the position that I have to know many, 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 many supporters from every corner of the globe. And I tell you, a lot of them get them get it. Like, like any of us do, you know, they get the culture, they get the passion, they, you know, they're as bona fide fans as we are, apart from the fact they've just not been privileged enough to either be born into it, grow up near the ground or, or be able to afford to go every week, you know, but that's what the club are doing. You know, the, the, don't underestimate, guys, the huge uh, and evil, in my opinion, influence of American ownership in mm. English football. These are the sons of bitches who are driving it because they don't understand the concept of British sport. In fact, ironically, this is why so many of my American mates who support Chelsea support Chelsea, because it was it was different from what they grew up with American sport, which is about... They moved their bloody club from one side of the States to the other. Crazy, mm-hmm. isn't it? They can, because it will make them more money. We had you know? Craig Forrest on, Chigi. Craig Forrest, the old West Ham keeper earlier in the show, Canadian, of course, dialed in from Toronto, and he was saying the same thing. 
You just have their franchises that they pick up. The LA Rams were the St. Louis Rams a couple of years ago. The Oakland Raiders will make their mind up one day, whether they're the Oakland Raiders or the LA Raiders or whatever. You have the Texas Oilers Brooklyn who don't exist. Yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. Um, sorry, James, go on. Uh, Chidge, just, just wondering what's next now for for Chelsea fans and relationship with the club. I think I saw you tweet that this would never be forgotten. I think no, yesterday. Um what happens now? See, if it is true, these reports that Chelsea have, uh, have pulled out of it, uh, it's definitely not going away, though. The whole concept of a breakaway league isn't just going to go away with it not happening now. I, you know, I think it's obvious that you know, these guys still want to get their way one way or another. Well, um, so where do you see it going? Well, I've got, there are, I've got two answers for this. One is really complicated. So the first one is, I mean, I haven't really forgiven them for what they did with the Chelsea pitch owners when they tried to grab that. Um, I think that, and I said it, you know, to talk. But you still go, don't you, Chidge? I'm not digging you out here, mate. And uh, this this is the same thing with West Ham and the owners. So many of us still go. They don't care, do they? Like like Gary Neville said this morning when he was talking about the Glazers, you know, there are are lines to be drawn. As long as I can still go and see my team play, it's a decent team, I enjoy it, I get to see my mates in the pub before and afterwards, and basically that remains the same, that's okay. But Mm. when you mess with that beyond that, that's a different thing. And the CPO was messing it. We're the only supporters of any English club who, who, I mean, I have a CPO share up on the wall there. That means I... What is that, Chid? Sorry, just for those of us listening or listeners slash me who... Who hasn't got a clue what the uh, <laughs> the CPO is? Basically, are you um, are you able to shine any light on that for us, mate? Can you can you see that? Uh, I can see yep. a certificate. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea pitch oh, owners. Frank Lampard, you'll be disappointed to learn. But <laughs> um, it basically it, the Chelsea pitch owners were set up by Ken Bates in about nineteen late eighties, early nineties, I think, because at the time uh, there are several companies uh, who owned parts of Chelsea and they were going to try and sell it and basically to build some very expensive properties on there so at the time you know we would have been homeless we might have not existed as a club we might have ended up playing at Fulham or QPR or whatever so Ken decided once he was able to to fight off those developers which he managed to do and, and took complete control of the club he set up the Chelsea pitch owners in other words what he did was he basically gave the CPO the uh, the ground, the freehold of the ground, and also the name Chelsea FC, so that you know anybody who tried to buy it wouldn't own it. Right. All right. So if you've got a house, right, and you own the freehold of that house, and somebody tries to buy it, you've got the freehold, so they can't actually they can pay the money and buy it, but they don't own it. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. it was a brilliant way to safeguard the future of football at Stamford Bridge forever. And the, and the reason being is because he knew that lots and lots and lots of supporters would all buy shares. Mm. So there's about 18,000 shareholders. So anybody who wanted to, 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 you know, we all know how business works. Somebody can come in and just buy up every share, can't they? But it's a lot harder when the shares are spread out with 18,000 different people. Mm. Right. So that, that's where we are, and it's brilliant. We're unique in that, and it gives us a lot of power. But Roman, when he wanted to uh, you know, rebuild or possibly sell the stadium, we don't know, uh, tried to get his rich mates to buy up loads of shares and swing the vote. And we formed a group called Say No CPO, and uh, we fought back, and they, we voted against it. We voted them out, even though they tried to gerrymander the vote by carpet bagging and buying up all the shares 
And uh, I think uh, Ron Gawley was the CEO at the time and he got the boot for that, for screwing that up. Right. So, you know, it's really, really important. And, um, and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really proud to have a share. I'm really proud that we've got that protection. But, uh, you know, going back to, 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 to what, what this is really about, will we forgive the club? I think that I, I, you know, I think we now know where we stand. I mean, I was saying this on Talksport and any any other channel that phoned me up and wanted to listen. BBC London before I, James. BBC London before <laughs> James. Talksport this morning. I, I've had to turn down offers. It's been so hectic. I've been Thank God you off. made room for the We Are Sam podcast because well, I love you guys. You see, the, big, much, the biggest organisation of those. I would rather talk to you guys every day of the week than talk to any of those media outlets. You know that. Anyways, um, the point is, is that we now know where we stand. I've been writing about it for years, moaning about it for years. People say you're just a whinging old man who's just bitter and twisted. Well, that may be true, but (laughs) I'm right. right. They don't like us. They don't care about us. They would be shot of us as soon as look at us. So we can't trust them. And we now know that unequivocally, 150%. We know that we can't trust them and that they don't like us. So they put their heads above the parapet and we've now shot it off. One yeah. nil. Love it. Yeah. That seems to be the, uh, I think as well, mate, uh, you know, we've, we've briefly, uh, we touched on this earlier in the show um, that for West Ham fans, it's, I don't know. It's almost quite, or for, for me anyway, there's a strange little feeling among all this underneath all this. And obviously I hope it goes away. That's my primary desire in all of this by a million miles but there is a bit of me that thinks blimey we won't be the only club in the land and set of fans anymore who look at their owners and have that feeling of knowing a hundred percent that you're just customers and with the london stadium move that it took away a bit of every west match going west ham fan soul and thousands of those who don't go and have done in the past or can't for whatever reason as you mentioned that it took a bit away a bit of your soul and we still go to football and me and James will meet for a beer sometimes I go with my dad and but it it just isn't the same and it never will be and I think it's almost nice to know that fans of of clubs I know we've got a rivalry but you're a friend of ours Chigi I've got friends who support Tottenham and uh, Arsenal and you know Liverpool all that sort of thing that, that, yeah. You know, I know you're West Ham, I'm Chelsea, but we, we have a common bond. Exactly. When, when you, I mean, and I, uh, this needs clear definition. When you are a proper supporter, and I know that sounds a bit, you know, poncy, but, you know, when you've been going for a long time, your, your family are born into it. It doesn't matter. However you find that connection, but that connection goes deep and it goes back a long way. So you experience the same kind of pain and joy that I do and vice versa. So we therefore have a bond and we have a bond as football supporters. And that, that is really important. I often say this, I said, there are two types of people. There are people that like football and the people that don't. And that's actually the real split that should be made because what we don't realize, because we live in this football bubble is there are an awful lot of people out there who don't understand. And in fact, hate football and think that we're all hooligans and criminals and idiots and what have you. Well, you know, that's not true. So the real enemy are the people who don't like football, actually. So we have a commonality. And that, and I think we find that. You and I have known each other for a while. I've known James a long time. We find that bond because actually on so many things, we think the same. That's why it was really important what happened tonight and actually what's been happening since Sunday. And you've seen, you've seen the real football supporters absolutely come together as one. Mm. And nobody can mess with that. It's a beautiful thing to see what's happened. 
Mm. And you're going to have, I think Mm. you're going to have at least eight clubs now, Jonesy, aren't you? Where you've got West Ham, Newcastle, plus these big six, where the fans aren't big fans of their owners, you know what I mean? In differing degrees. And I don't necessarily, I think West Ham will probably be eighth place out of those eight clubs of of how much the fans hate their owners. Because tell you what, Gold Sullivan and Mike Ashley must be sitting there laughing their heads off, knowing that they're no longer <laughs> the most hated owners in, in the country. Definitely. Well, look, lads, with uh, CBO, you would never have, you probably would have been able to stop move, the move to London Stadium. Mm, we had the bondholders thing, it's different, yeah. of course. But look, lads, just uh, we've had some, as we mentioned, Tom uh, normally on the on the show every week with us felt really strongly about the issue. Lives not too far away, so went down for the protest at Stanford Bridge tonight in solidarity. Uh, with those Blues fans, as me and Chidji have just spoken about then. It's that commonality. Text in from Tom. Sorry, lads, so mental. Uh, I've had some videos, uh, it's, but it's all kicking off. Honestly, one of the best things I ever, uh, I've ever done. I feel like we've really been heard down here. So that's coming from from Tom at, at Stamford Bridge tonight. So, look, I mean, the, the story is still developing. Uh, Manchester City now have told the organisers that they don't want to be part of the European Super League. That is the news coming out of Sky. So it sounds like the whole thing's collapsing, Chigi. So by the time this podcast goes out, it'll all be a complete waste of time. But it's wonderful to hear from you anyway. We have actually got a game at the weekend, our two football teams. Uh, it seemed before... There was concern that it might not actually mean anything at all because it might have meant that West Ham were crowned champions of what was left of the Premier League after you lot all got booted out. But let's assume, as it seems, that football and life as we know it will carry on as we have known it up until now. And it's an absolutely huge game in the, the the running for the Champions League. We've been pretty much neck and neck for the past few weeks since you uh, had the good sense to get rid of that charlatan Lampard and uh, introduce a proper ma- a proper man and football manager, <laughs> Thomas Tuchel. Um, but you have, you've been brilliant since Tuchel came in. Uh, certainly more resolute at the back. Still can't get a tune out of Timo Werner. But talk to me about the game at the weekend, Chidge. What, what have you made of things on the pitch recently? And uh, sort of talk as we normally would if it wasn't for all of this European Super League talk. Oh. You know, we we don't we didn't actually sign this uh, brilliant German striker called Tim, Timo Werner from from Leipzig. We've signed his cousin, his Irish cousin Tim O'Werner, <laughs> who's not quite <laughs> as good actually. But uh, Tommy Tommy T Tommy Tuchel has been brilliant, and I mean he was a hard, you know he was a hard sell as you know we loved Frank, and we were gutted that he went. But you got to hand it to Tuchel. This guy, this I, I think he's arguably possibly he's possibly as good in some respects as Prime Mourinho was when he first came. I, I the way he's got that team organized, disciplined, playing for each other. He's brought the the leadership and the shithousery back to Chelsea. And I'm not a fan of this beautiful football tippy tappy nonsense. I like a bit of shithousery and solid defending and shutting games out. And I've not seen us be that good at doing that since Prime Mourinho. And that's down to Tuchel. He's been brilliant. You know, chucking the fact we've got some great youngsters in uh, Reese James and uh, Mason Mount, of course. You know, all we really need is Declan Rice to complete the complete the team and we'll be flying, mate. No, <laughs> no chance way. he's coming. Absolutely no chance. <laughs> Jeez, Don't bite I, James. He's just baiting. He's baiting. I'm not. I'm not that's, that's all you're getting out of me. That's all you're getting. That's all you're getting. How, how, how do you see the start of the game going at the weekend, Chidge? Because... 
Now, the last time we we, we played each other, we we outplayed you at Stanford Bridge, and, and the yeah. scoreline didn't yeah. suggest it. Um, but we've got injuries. We're off the back of a disappointing right. defeat um, against Newcastle. Chelsea in form. How, how do you see it? How do you see it going? Well, I mean, I, I, you're right about the game at the bridge. It was just nuts. I mean, you batted us and we won three 0 I cannot, for the life of me, figure out how. In fact, actually, I remember it really well. Your players are wandering around asking the same question: How are we three 0 down at this lot? Yeah. You know, uh, quite remarkable. Um, you're a decent side. I mean, I have to say, I, I, do you know what? I think Moyes, poor old Moyes, he gets a lot of bad press, but he's a blooming good manager. If you if you look at what he did with Everton with no money, that tells me he's a good manager, and he's doing the same with you lot. And and I mean, I think sign or you know getting Lingard on loan was a genius stroke. I mean, it's easy to say that when he's been banging in goals for fun every game. But, you know, Lingard was a really good player for United and, and England around the yeah. uh, the Russia World Cup. He was like, you know, quite... A, quite I mean, he's always getting pit for England, wasn't he? So, you know, well done, Moyes. Uh, a lot of credit goes down to him. Uh, and a lot of credit to West Ham. They're, they're, they're a decent, decent side, I have to say. Um, Newcastle did us a huge favour last week. We now have to capitalise on that, first of all, by beating Brighton tonight. Um, but either way, I, I, I've been saying for weeks, I hate the term, but this is an absolute six-pointer. You know, it's mm. huge for both clubs. And I I wouldn't stick my neck out and say it will go a long way to deciding who is in top four because I know we've got a much harder run in than you and Liverpool. But it will certainly help psychologically, I think, if we turn you over uh, and we jump, you know, we, we jump frog you into, into third place. Um it's going to be. I look. The reality is, you, you, you. We all know. We've been around the block long enough. This is going to go down to the last game. These things yeah. generally do. I think this season is such a hard one to call. You get some really nuts results now and again that put a spanner in the works. Bottom line is, the one that's going to be most consistent towards the end is the one that's going to finish in the top four. And actually, what I what I said a few weeks ago after we got absolutely humped by West Brom, which came out of nowhere. Um, you know, we'd won fourteen. We'd, we'd not lost for fourteen games. So we're capable of putting a 14-game run together. And I said at the time, after that West Brom game, we have potentially 14 games left this season. If we get to the Cup final and the Champions League final, we will have played 14 games. So all Tommy T needs to do is to put a run together of another 14 games and we'll clean up. be lovely. <laughs> there you go, mate. Well, look, Chidgy, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Just before we let you go, give us a prediction. God, blimey. For... I... <laughs> I have no idea because it's so hard to do it. And, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this one be a draw, actually. But, I mean, then again, I wouldn't be surprised to see you lot turn up and play like Pete Brazil because that that often happens when you when you play us. <laughs> Need uh, a score, Chigi. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll go I'll go two all. Two all. That's James's yes, favourite, the old Desmond. What are you going for, Jonesy? Uh, I, I do agree, actually. Um, I think it... Probably will be a draw. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go Desmond. One all. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm going to keep the uh, trend going. I've been saying it for a few weeks. We are due a nil-nil. Chelsea pretty defensive. We'll surely be better at the back than we were against flipping Newcastle. So I'm going to go for a for a goalless draw that we haven't had for quite a while. But look, Chigi, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on, mate. And as you say, I think conversations like this, not that they don't anyway, because they're always friendly, but at times like this, conversations like this prove that, yeah, obviously we like beating Chelsea. You no doubt like beating West Ham. It is a rivalry. But hey, there is that commonality. 
between us, mate. There is that common goal. Everyone's stuck together on this European Super League thing. And it's good to see that the thing is uh, appears to be crumbling before it's even started. But Dave Chidge from the Chelsea Fancast there, absolute pleasure having you on. I'm really glad to see, Will, that you've gone full on Ian Bishop. <laughs> yeah. do, you know yeah. what? do you know what? I hadn't thought about that until now. I mean, what a man. You ask any West Ham fan if you're going to copy anyone's hair. Yeah, he's is the absolute legend. But I, I must admit, Chid. That hair, reckon, you know, uh, so long. Do you remember yeah. that? Looking at looking at you here now, I've got a feeling that might be me. And I was going to say 50 years, but I thought that might offend you. So I'll go with 30. <laughs> So you're still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast, and I'm delighted to say that joining us on this absolute roller coaster of an evening is Rashane Thomas, a friend of the show, but primarily West Ham United correspondent for The Athletic. Absolutely outstanding journalist, outstanding bloke. Uh, Rashane, it's wonderful to have you back with us, mate. Uh, I'll forgive you for the comments about my hair and my hat pre, pre-record. Uh, I saw your absolutely astonishing new haircut on Sky Sports News earlier in the week, so I knew I had to up my game. Rashane, it's great to have you with us, mate. What, what a week this is. We've just heard the news. As we're recording this podcast, so much has changed already. Ed Woodward now has stepped down from Manchester United. It appears Chelsea and Manchester City have bailed out on this European Super League after all. Just tell us now, what have you made of the whole situation up until now? Oh, well, it's been an absolute mess. And just touching on uh, Woodward quickly, you know, it reminds me of this, like, you can't dump me, I'll dump you first. <laughs> That's yeah. what it looks like right now, Ed Woodward. And obviously, he definitely should resign. No way should like he'd be sacked. What well, get another payoff? Absolutely no chance. And in terms of how it's been handled, it's just been a mess, really. It's showed a betrayal to the English fans, it's showed a betrayal to the sport itself. The fact that you wanted to have this sort of breakaway league and just ruined the element of competition, a league where you can't even get relegated. How does that even make sense? The, the, the reason why we all love the game so much is that we have hope. We all aspire to be like a club like Leicester win the league we aspire to be have a club that could pitch in top four you know all this sort of stuff we aspire to have and the breakaway league was trying to take all of that away and rightly so and you know what right we all know Twitter can be toxic sometimes I can't remember the last time everyone United has won over a topic like this everyone universally condemned this concept mm. I can't recall the last time that has happened like everyone I didn't find one person who was like ah this is really good I didn't find one person. I mean, you all know how toxic Twitter can be. So I thought that was really good. And listen, I was watching, um, prior to coming on, I was watching live coverage on the Chelsea fans protesting outside Stanford Bridge. And listen, we couldn't really care less about Chelsea because obviously we're, we're linked to West Ham. But listen, I, I, I was loving what the fans were doing. You know, well, Tom's down there, seeing... Rashane. Tom, Tom, who normally hosts yeah, the podcast. Yeah, Solidarity. I was going to say there's someone missing. Yeah, I can say someone's missing from, uh, yeah. from, from, uh, from the chat. Yeah, I'll kind yeah, of Tom, no, Tom who normally does it. We've just had uh, Dave Chidge on from the Chelsea fan cast. And yeah. I think it's solidarity, Rashane. You know, we like sure. the rivalries among clubs, but ultimately we're all football fans first and foremost. And we want we want the structure in place that enables those rivalries. We want to play Chelsea and give Chidgey and all our Chelsea mates a bit yeah. of a ribbon each week. And yeah, Tom doesn't live too far from, from Chelsea, felt strongly about yeah. it. So he went down there as a football fan, not a Chelsea fan. Yeah. And, and he feels strongly about it. Look, does, Shane, you've mentioned just before we, we hit record on uh, this little chat with you tonight, you mentioned there that 
your plans for the week at the Athletic were all set up and then they were all cancelled when the news broke in the Sunday Times on, on Sunday, of course. Uh, and you, you said there, obviously, you were, you were tasked straight away. How's it going to affect the club that you cover? Uh, you've been covering West Ham with absolute aplomb all season, as anyone who reads your stuff will know. What Thanks, did Paul. what did that entail for you then this week, mate? Like what 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 was the the comings of West Ham? Obviously, they released the statement, uh, giving yeah. their own thoughts on it. But what's what's your sort of take on the whole situation? Well, first of all, thanks for the kind words. I'll definitely buy your new hat, pal. That's for sure. <laughs> and and uh, well, obviously. The main, the way, the way it was that the, the top six clubs that was the priority in terms of what's happening. You know, are they gonna like try and try and leave it under pressure? So the top six writers around a lot of pressure in terms of that aspect. First, someone like myself and West Ham and all the other fourteen writers, we just had to find out what the, what the plans, what the, the clubs were, how, how they thought about this uh, proposal. So obviously, we had to make phone calls, find out what was happening. We put together a joint piece myself and other thirteen writers for our respective clubs. We put up a piece yesterday, I believe just to give fans an update, this is what's happening. So in terms of West Ham, obviously they are completely against it. And then uh, the emergency board meeting earlier today, they put forward the argument about this cannot happen, whatever, this cannot happen whatsoever. So we expressed that in the, uh, in the piece as well. And then after that, my editor said, also write a piece on, you know, just the element of competition. Right now, West Ham are fourth on the brink of qualifying for Champions League. And I've got wood right here, touch wood, it happens. Touch what it happens, and um, yeah, just write about you know element of competition. You know why this whole European Super League concept would just be terrible for someone at a club like West Ham. You know, have aspirations to you know be in a top four. So I put that piece out, got a good reaction, and obviously I was supposed to put another piece out, but it looks like that will change now. So it just shows you how this industry is. Like one minute mm. you're riding high and just like that. Like in the last what hour and a half, Chelsea and Man City pull out, and I believe Atletico and Barcelona. Ed Wooden had resigned as my United chairman, vice chairman rather. It just shows you how quickly things can change in, in this industry. So, so Roshan, in terms of in terms of West Ham moving forward, how do you think that we, we, obviously the club have put out a statement saying that they were completely against it? Yeah, uh, a lot a lot of fans, and this is a lot of fans were like, yeah, but. Like if you were invited to that table, then you would have taken it. Do you think that's the case, or do you think that Golden Sullivan really would have gone? I mean, if the relationship wasn't bad enough as it is, then yeah. that would have been one step too far. Yeah, you see, uh, to be fair, I got quite a few DMs like, "Oh, Rashane, of course you know they would have gone in the Super League if they were invited. Come on, like, right? Talk, of, you know what? Right? Last week I actually wrote a piece, sort of saying, "Listen, season's been great. David Moyes in the back stuff is their praise." But the board also deserves a little bit of praise. It's a tiny bit of praise. And people are like, what on earth are you talking about? No, they don't. It's all down to David Moyes. And I was like, look, if you think about everything that we've been sort of been pissed off with the board before, they've sort of like learned their lesson. So, for mm. example, Karen Brady's column, right? How often will West Ham win or draw on a Saturday? On a Sunday, we're reading Karen Brady's column. I'm like, what on earth are you saying? Like, why are you putting this in? And then everyone's talking about that instead of how well West Ham played. But this season, I can't think of one controversy surrounding Karen Brady's column. I can't think of one. I know Sullivan can be a bit, you know, vocal in the media and he spoke on TalkSport, I think, in October how he was feeling depressed. Who's about, this, mate? Sorry? Uh, Sullivan, David Sullivan. Oh, yeah. yeah. How he was feeling depressed about, you know, not bringing in a central half, how he has no regrets over Diagana. And you're like, what on earth are you doing? Just be quiet. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> be quiet. But if you look back now, he's right. No regrets over Diagana. What, one goal in 18 appearances for West Brom? Has he been great? So... 
that's worked out well. James Kostoski, James Kostoski what links him with 40 million, didn't sign him. Like, good defender, but not worth 40 million. And as a result, we signed Craig Dawson, now known as Virgil Van... Well, I say Virgil Van Dawson, but he hasn't been showing that over the last couple of games. So it's that. <laughs> Virgil you know Van Dawson. <laughs> yeah, you know what, right? Over the last, what, 48 hours, we've sort of seen these clubs like Arsenal, Man United, Amer- Liverpool, American owners, and how they are and how they couldn't, they couldn't care less about their supporters. And we're seeing... We sort of got a factor and compare it to West Ham owners, and I know they can be very vocal sometimes and they can annoy us. But my thing is, at least it's from the heart. So Sullivan, for example, going on talk sports, said he's feeling depressed. All thinking, what on earth are you saying? But you know what? At least you're you're being honest. Like they don't give any media train answers. It's it's from the heart when it comes to these owners. So I feel like that's something to also bear in mind. And last point of this, um, when you think of like what they've done over the past what however, for 10 years or so, I honestly think they're learning the lessons. I think they're learning the lessons. I've got Moyes in, he's doing a good job. You know, uh, recruited well. Sullivan's taken a step back from transfers. We all know in the past, he's, he's, these dodgy strikers <laughs> we've signed, and he's taken a step back. So I thought that there's a praise. And as I mentioned, if you think about over the 48 hours, how other owners are sort of being condemned in the, in the media, there's a tiny, just a tiny, I'm not saying a lot, but it's a tiny bit of praise. Now, you know what, Rashane, I must admit, I think we were we were inevitably going to have that conversation on this podcast, probably at the end of the season, to be fair. Um, and there will be those, you'll have learned this, the, uh, you know, it might have been the hard way, but you'll have certainly learned it in some way or the other, covering West Ham as you have this season. And since you started, since you started the job, you'll have learned very quickly, I'd imagine, that there is a section of the fans uh, who are anti-GSB, GSB out regardless of what happens. It's already too late. It doesn't matter what happens. They could win the Champions League next season if it still exists and the fan, those fans won't forgive them. There are those slightly more in the middle who are completely disgusted and hurt by the way they've acted in the club, who perhaps just want them to at least produce a good like hold up their end of the bargain as far as when we moved from the Olympic Stadium the implicit agreement was that we'd be better on the pitch so there are fans who just want that to happen they don't care how it's done or who's in the ownership um, in the owner director's box every week as long as we get better there are those, and there are those who you know who are either um, propaganda arms for the uh, for the board um, mas- you know masquerading as West Ham news sites or whatever and um, and there are those who just don't care and who take the head in the sand approach and just want to go to football and they will take West Ham. They don't think about too much more than what's going on on the pitch. And if they're doing all right, they'll enjoy it. And if they're not, they'll moan. And But they don't really want to get involved too much. Yeah. But yeah. I think at the end of this season, or you're the first one who's mentioned it on the podcast, I think we would have had to approach it carefully James wouldn't we or no but yeah. but you're right I, I I think there's an element and there will be those who say to you say they deserve praise well you know uh they only employed Moyes because he was well cheap because let's be honest he's on much lower wages than Pellegrini he's one of the lower paid managers in the league however the idea of running a football club and running it well one might say if you're a board member here in that argument is well the the whole idea of being uh, a good football manager is to get the best results on the pitch in the most fiscally responsible way possible so like you mentioned there 
there's no way James Tarskowski has been 37 million pounds better than Craig Dawson has this season, is there? Absolutely no way mm. whatsoever. The Lingard move was was a fantastic one. So I, I think we'll certainly have that conversation towards the end of the season. I personally think that they have done a little bit to mend relationships with some fans. As I say, there will be those yeah. who who don't at all. But look, mate, the uh, the Newcastle game at the weekend, I assume you were there first of oh. all. Uh, I just about recovered from that match, bro. Just, <laughs> just about, about got back. Game, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what did you what did what did you make of it all then? Because it's obviously taken a bit of a back seat on this on this program tonight. In fact, yeah. it's the first mention we've had of it. Lost three two. Obviously, we could have gone third, albeit temporarily, with a win. Failed yeah. to do that. Uh, frustrating fashion. Craig Dawson, obviously, and Lucas Fabianski to blame. Just give us what's your thought. What was your thoughts? If if you're a Newcastle fan, right, you're thinking, how on earth are West Ham fourth? We done a double over them. How on earth are we fourth? But listen, I, I, before that match, I was confident. I thought West Ham would win. And then five minutes of madness has killed our chances. Five minutes of madness. Craig Dawson, I can't call him Virgil van Dawson anymore because I haven't seen it. So <laughs> Craig Dawson just been in apps. And you know what? It's, it's, it's been prior to that match. He scored back-to-back on goals against Man United and Arsenal. Looked a bit shaky. I actually thought it was because he didn't have a bono alongside him. Why well, he's looking a bit shaky. A bono was alongside him against Newcastle. For whatever reason, he just lost his form. So there's that. Diop, Diop, as we all know, it can be a bit hit and miss at times. You know, one minute I'd be like, Diop, what on earth are you doing? You've got to make simple passes. Just make the normal tackle and you'll score. So, you know what mm. I mean? Diop can be a bit confusing sometimes. Fabianski has been so dependable for us. And then that cross from Matt Ricci, all you've got to do is just carry it, like, catch it. Like, it's not hard. And they fumbled it. So you're thinking, what, do I have to sign a new goalkeeper in the summer to, to provide competition? Because Darren Randolph, good, key, good goalkeeper, but not primary standard, in my opinion. David Martin, good, but not permanently standing, unfortunately, in my opinion. You've got young goalkeepers like Nathan Chot, Jason Fernandez, they're good, but they're not ready right now in terms of the first team for West Ham. So that's 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 an area that, that perhaps could be strengthened. And all in all, I, was, I felt like it was a missed opportunity, in my opinion, because you've got to win that match before the Chelsea game. If you had back-to-back defeats, I don't think it could be good for morale. I mean, although we have a, a relatively easy running, you're sort of thinking, ah, oh, you know, it just it's, especially with key players being out injured, it just, you know what I mean, the worst timing, really. Go on, JJ. Shane, do you think that I mean the first half was I mean up until the 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 Dawson the the Dawson red card or the the the, the bad touch that led to the red card and the goal. Yeah. You know, we were dominating the game, dominating possession, had more of the ball, but we ran out of we ran out of ideas very very quickly moving forward. Um, it wasn't a bad first half an hour, but it also wasn't great because we weren't really creating many chances. Because Newcastle would set up to play us at our own game. How does David Moyes approach that moving forward and probably in the summer and going into next season in that, you know, we're not a possession team or at the moment we're not a possession team because we don't have, you know, that those ideas moving forward. How, how does he approach that so that, you know, we don't we don't come unstuck when teams go, right, okay, well, we're going to let you have the ball because we know you're not going to do much with it and we're going to catch you on the counter. No, for sure. Good point. And, you know, I actually think Moyes got it wrong in terms of his, like, tactics and formation for that game. Request mm. Masuaku being injured. I don't think he should have played a wing back system. I think that only works if you've got a Cresswell and Masuaku. Cresswell's been great in terms of getting forwards, got seven assists. He's equally tally from the 17 uh, 18 season. Masuaku, I'll be honest, I, I thought Masuaku not good enough for West Ham. I'll definitely oh, behave yourself. Part. That's blasphemy on this yeah. podcast for Shane. Don't even think about it. I know, I know. Listen, I've been, I've been on a diet all season when it comes to Masuaku with his humble pie I've been eating because he's, <laughs> he's, he's like, proving me wrong. And King Arthur, great. 
Why not? Uh, I think that I think that only works if you had Cressa and Masuaki in and play Ben Johnson. I, I thought he had a good game, but in my opinion, he was yeah. at fault for the for the winner. Uh, I think Joel, Joel yeah, Paul Header was it? Yeah, I could have defended that a lot better, in my opinion. So I feel like Moyes... But the thing is, JJ, we're just so short of options right now with all these injuries. That's the issue. Declan Rice out injured, Lanzini was out injured for that match while you played on Monday against uh, Everton on the 23s in a 2-1 win. Uh, Tony are injured. It's just it's just hard right now. Like We're, we're really scarce in terms of options. Obviously, Craig Dawson being out injured is likely Barbrain will be back for the uh, Chelsea game. So we'll make do on what we have right now, and it's tough. But moving forward... Definitely to try. And you know what? I actually disagree with you. I feel like at the start of that match, Liverpool all over us. Sorry, not Liverpool. Newcastle all over us, especially St. Maximum. We just couldn't find a way to nullify his threat. Wherever you got on the ball, you're thinking, oh, goodness, he's going to try and shoot or try to get past other defence. So I think we have... That's probably still on the counter, though, wasn't it? Yeah, like, I guess so. But still, I, I just, when you think about Newcastle, for whatever reason, St. Maximum becomes messy whenever he plays us. Like, yeah. I remember, like... <laughs> I remember like last season under Pellegrini at home and oh my goodness, the way he just destroyed Zabaleta in that match. Absolutely yeah. destroyed Zabaleta in that game. So it just seemed like we didn't have a system trying to try and uh, to try to put in place to, to stop him from you know getting at us, unfortunately. And you know what, just touch on defense quickly. I really stopped making mistakes. We really do. I, I said in my piece on Monday, people thought, you know, I was reacting to one match, but I really want. If you think about the wins over Leicester and Wolves, they were narrow wins. Like we just held on again. Just held mm. on. They could have scored more goals. I remember that mm. win against Leicester. Had Fabianski not been in good in good form that day, making a lot of good face, good saves, that could have been a free-free draw. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's defense giving other teams confidence. So as good as we're scoring goals, Lingard doing well, Boring scoring goals again. I mean, not even boring. I am boring. I am boring scoring <laughs> goals. Effective to you know get the act together as well because here we are fourth on the bring of Champions League qualification. Don't throw it away now. Conceding ten in like, four games, yeah. no good, is it? No, you can't do it now. Fair enough if you're like making mistakes in September, October, but there's not much riding on it. But don't do it in April when there's a lot at stake with six games to go. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, look, Rashane, what what do you how do you see it playing out the rest of the season? A huge game against Chelsea at the weekend. Uh, you know, it's 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 a massive massive clash, yeah. and. Uh, you know, obviously we've got to assume that the football season is going to carry on as normal and that the Champions League will exist next year and yep. West Ham have got a half a chance of getting into it. How do you see it playing out? You don't sound too confident, mate, which worries me a little bit. I, I'm not I'm not confident for the Chelsea match because they're just they look a different different gravy, as you want to call it. Different gravy on the Thomas Tuchel right now. They look really good. So listen, if we can get a draw, I'll be elated, honestly. Like, that's such a big game right now. If we had our... Antonio back, Rice back, you know, Cresswell back. I'll be a lot more confident. But what we have, especially with Dawson being like, injured and Barbarina company who has to play for quite some time, although I'm hoping he'll impress and catch the eye, it's going to be a tough one. Lose that, it's back to back defeats, sort of having doubts over we can finish top four. We'll win that and listen, happy days. And as I touched on earlier, we have a relatively easy running. What Southampton, you know, West Brom, Everton, but they've been hit and miss. We can beat them, beat them already. So I feel like what will get West Ham in top four is if West Ham. No, not West Ham, sorry. Chelsea sort of have one eye on Champions League. If they become sort of fixated on that and, and they lose distraction on, on the Premier League, then that's a way for us to, you know, keep winning our matches and, and get in. Obviously, it's great about Declan Rice to be back before the end of the season. So, key players coming back. I know it's cliche to say, but it'll be like a new signing almost. So, that to come back and inspire the lads. So, listen, if we do it, Oh, can you imagine if we do Look it? Look at the smile on his face, James. He's just thinking, all he's yeah. thinking is those little midweek away trips that he's going to get paid it'll, for, isn't he? He wants a little European tour. Yeah, on his own, on the old expenses. And you know what? I forgot to say earlier, but after the um, 
because right now, because quite often, right, journals in press box, the head down. As soon as the final whistle goes, they put the head down and start writing. So what I started doing, right, I started looking up and seeing how the players were at, looking at the, looking at the director's box. And after the Leicester game, looked straight at the director's box, as soon as the whistle blew, as soon as the referee blew the final whistle, right, I saw Karen Brady jumping up and started doing all of that. I saw David Gold just sat down and started clapping because, listen, he's 84, so he hasn't got much energy to be getting up. And, you know what I mean? And other people like start high-fiving each other, but I haven't seen that all season. I haven't yeah. seen it all season. Like the first time I saw that. So what Newcastle? Not... What game was this? After Leicester, after ah, home against Leicester. Yeah. yeah, home against Leicester. Like key figures at the club started getting happy and started like, yes, come on. That never happens. You know what I mean? So it shows the element of acting like reacting like any other supporter, which is good to see. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, look. I mean, James Rashane's editor obviously quivering in his boots at the moment, wondering how much that expenses card is going to get caned next season when Rashane's <laughs> out in the little, the little tavernas next to the yeah. Bernabeu if they're still in it. He's uh, absolutely look, looking forward to that, mate. I suspect. I didn't think you uh, weren't expecting a European run when you took the West Ham gig, oh, were you? No, no. I know. But if it happens, it'll be great. But not just in terms of the countries I could go to, but what it would do for the club. You know, convince people like Declan Rice to stay, Thomas Soljak to stay, the stature of the club will only strengthen. It just be like we all know what David Moyes has done over the past 15 months. And this would be like one big gift for him for him to get Champions League football. Every week in his press conference, he speaks so well in terms of, you know, West Ham being an untapped potential. Like he knows what West Ham can achieve with him at the helm. And if we if we do it, if we finish eighth, it's still been a remarkable season. Like it really has. Mm. So if we can get top four, I'll be doing backflips all over East London. If we don't, then listen, I'll, I'll still be happy nonetheless. Exactly, mate. Well, look, if you need an assistant next season, Rashane, if we do get in the Champions League, to someone to carry your suitcases for you and uh, yeah. sharpen I'm all your pencils. Collection. <laughs> exactly, mate. Yeah, you know where to go. Well, look, Rashane Thomas there from The Athletic coming back. Uh, thanks so much for giving us your time on the We Are West Ham podcast. We do appreciate it. And as I, I meant all that I said earlier, covered West Ham with absolute aplomb this season. I know lots of people have uh, enjoyed reading your stuff, as have we. And it's uh, we really appreciate you giving us your time on the podcast as well, mate. And coming up to the end of the season, the restrictions are lifting. So we'll be out there. Go and have a beer together soon and, uh, and have a chat all about it. So you are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh and James Jones. James, I don't think we've ever covered so much in such erratic fashion in one podcast in all my life. But we've finally got round to the Betway charity bet section. We didn't have any wins last week, did we? Because uh, after your absolutely spectacular 40 to 1 beauty the week before, uh, we all piled on West Ham to win again. Actually, you didn't. You went both teams to score. Fournell's first goal and over two and a half goals, but obviously Fournell's didn't score first. And me and Tom both went for West Ham to win in our bets. I also had Jesse Lingard any time and goal in each half. So when he scored the penalty for the equaliser, I thought, happy days, here we go. Not only is it going to be a heroic comeback, but I'm also going to win my 7-2 to two Betway charity bet as well. But it wasn't to be this week so we haven't managed to get tom's bet off him yet but that will be on the betway website and on the we are at we are underscore west ham on twitter when jonesy does up the graphics later in the week james what have you gone for for the chelsea game saturday night at the london stadium 5 30 kickoff so i've gone both teams to score just think both both sides are capable of scoring but also conceding 
uh, as you've seen in recent weeks, particularly with us. Uh, over two and a half, naturally. Uh, over two and a half goals. And Jared Bowen, uh, first goal scorer. I think um, I think he's shown over the last few games that you know, he can fill in for Antonio. I think he's, he's caused some problems mm. and scored a few goals as well. So, And as much as I hate to say it, Lingard's got to stop scoring, hasn't he? At some point, I don't want him to, but um, he's on an incredible scoring run. Is it was it goal in each of his last five games or something like that? Mm. Something mad like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going for Bowen. Bowen first goal scorer. I think we'll take the lead, but um, I think Chelsea will peg us back. Okay, fair enough. Well, look, I didn't manage to text my uh, Betway charity bet earlier on today, so I'm doing this on the hop. But I fancy it's going to be a draw, so I'm not sure exactly what the score is going to be. I'm going to go a draw. Under 4.5 goals and, oh, I don't know who to score last, do you think, James? Chelsea. Um, yeah, Chelsea to score last. Do you reckon, uh, I'll tell you what, I might ask Chad if he'll do a Chelsea to score first and last, just to, uh, yeah, just to mix it up a bit there. So I'm going to go draw under 4.5 goals and Chelsea to score first and last. I'll see what Chad has got to say about that. But as always, uh, me and the lads are playing for our three charities this week with a £50 stake from Betway. Uh, gives 50 quid of charity money each week to put on a bet of our choice. Three selection bet. James won his 40 to one last week. So that was two grand. Went to the DT38 Foundation, who James is playing for. I'm playing for the Bobby Moore Fund. Tom's playing for Isla's fight. With, uh, Betway have agreed to match anything we win at the end of the season. So when you add all that money in, we've raised over 10,000 quid for charity so far this season. And I'm absolutely thrilled, really proud of us. Jonesy that we've done that thanks very much to Chad and Betway for enabling that and making that happen this season so yeah we'll, we'll you'll be able to hear what Tom's one is later in the week on Twitter at we are underscore Stamps. So keep your eye on that and as ever you can back these in real life yourself on the Betway website or app just go to the West Ham game in question so that's Chelsea at home for this weekend uh, go to the pre-built bet selection and there you will find our bets <laughs> So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast on an absolutely crazy evening, a crazy couple of days. And it's all for once, as James Jones has mentioned already, not involving West Ham United, which is absolutely wonderful. Um, James, the West Ham women, it looks like they might have just done enough. An excellent couple of games, undefeated since we last spoke. The FA Cup game against Chichester City, a resounding 11-0 win against the team who are two leagues below them. It was always expected. The gulf between those levels of women's football is vast, of course. Um, obviously, a great win for the girls in the fourth round. So through to the fifth. Um, they've got Man City away, though, James, in the fifth round. So that'll be a, a very short-lived FA Cup uh, journey, you'd imagine, this season, which is unfortunate. But that game doesn't take place until the very end of the WSL season. So at least the girls can focus on that. They've got Man City at home on the 9th of May and then Man City away in that FA Cup game on the 16th. 11-0 against Chichester James, which is an excellent result. Uh, but there was a little bit of controversy during the game. Uh, tell us why. Yeah, I mean, firstly, I think the fact that well, they've gone, they've had two games in which they've 
you know, won convincingly. I think it what is it? It's sixteen goals to nil over the last two games. So in terms of confidence for Eddie Harder's team to begin with, that's you know, it's that's massive. Not including um, the uh, not including Villa not including the Villa draw, no, obviously. But you know, to to go into a very, very, you know, crucial part of the season to take two results like that into to some big games is you know has been massive and uh, they've got they've got the result against Villa but that that <laughs> that FA Cup game um Mackenzie Arnold you know normally the the first choice goalkeeper uh comes on as a central midfielder uh which the club you know it, it got mixed reaction I think the, I think it was 8-0 at the time when she came off the bench for uh to to appear in central midfield and um some people thought it was hilarious and thought, you know, it was just, uh, you know, the the, the the banter and the and the, the disrespect as they as they called it of, of coming of coming of the bringing a keeper off the bench. But other people saw it as as actual like genuine disrespect and a, a bit offensive. But um, you know, eleven nil win, seven nil at half time. Emily Van Egman with four in the first half. Um, you know, if you, you need to give players minutes or you haven't got any outfield players to bring on, then you've got a goalkeeper on the bench to use it. So I don't think it was it was offensive in any way. Um but but yeah, in, interesting interesting tactic. Well, James Tash Stevens from the Crawley Wasps women's football team didn't like it at all. She tweeted, disrespectful. Maybe some teams should focus how they're doing in their own leagues rather than disrespect a local self-funded club attempting to build and grow the game the right way. Tash Stevens, not impressed at all. But Kate Longhurst, West Ham midfielder, massive West Ham fan, replied, we have a massive game on Tuesday, of course, tonight, which the girls have drawn 0-0 against Eston Villa, all but confirming their WSL status for next season. She said, we have a massive game on Tuesday against a fellow relegation battling team. None of us are here to take the piss. We have a very small squad to pick from and certainly need legs for Tuesday. Certainly no disrespect from us as a team intended. So I think that's fair. I, you know, if, if she can also um, also play out on pitch and that's absolutely fine. The game was comfortable. So uh, I think like you said, uh, Jonesy, no real, certainly no offence attended and uh, yeah, a good comfortable win for the girls. But they're huge. The just on that result. quickly. Go on, mate. Go just on, on that quickly. I think it would have been more disrespectful if, if she had started the game in midfield. Yeah. For sure. If they'd have gone, if they'd have gone right, um, you know, it's it's only part-time non-league opposition, so you know we'll play our goalkeepers out outfield for this one because it's not going to matter anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a little bit harsh to to start saying that the club are being disrespectful or 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 anything like that. Yeah, for sure, mate. I totally agree. Uh, West Ham, nil-nil tonight at home to Aston Villa. A win would have 100% rubber stamped the survival, I think, in my humble opinion. Uh, the girls have played 18 games now, just four games left in the season. They're ninth place above Birmingham, Aston Villa, who are tonight's opponents, and Bristol City, who are bottom. The girls on 13 points. Birmingham in 10th, also on 13 points with catastrophic goal difference. Villa on 11 points, but played, uh, oh, have played also 18 games. Bristol City, a bottom, have played 19 games, also on 11 points with that catastrophic minus 51 goal difference. Jonesy, West Ham have got a minus 15 goal difference. They're still yet to play Aston Villa again. Oh, is it too soon to say it's done? They've got Aston Villa. Uh, again, Everton is their next game, Sunday the 25th of April um, at home is Everton. Then they're away to Arsenal, away to Aston Villa and home to Manchester City. 
too soon to say it's done or does it all if they can get another point against that Villa game then then they're happy days I think it might be might be a little bit too soon because if, if Villa win that second game then and you know results elsewhere don't go away then suddenly we're pulled straight back into it I think you know if if they if they won tonight against Villa then I think with an extra two points that what puts us four points above above Bristol City with with four games left gives us a little bit more of a cushion it's still a good result avoiding defeat but might be a little bit too early to, to crack open a champagne but I think avoiding defeat again against Villa might just be enough just another point I think we said that a couple of weeks ago building up to these games that just avoid defeat in both even if it is two draws and um, the, the job's pretty much done. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, I think the fixtures that those other teams have got as well, Bristol City uh, particularly, have got three games to turn that to turn it round in. I appreciate, you know, they, they only need, they need three points at least to, to leapfrog West Ham. And also one of those games is against Aston Villa. So that's winnable, but that's another game that Villa might not be able to win. They're playing Man United as well. This is Bristol City. They're not going to get a result there. And then Brighton away on the last game of the season. So it is doable, but I've just got a feeling the way the fixtures lie at the moment that the girls might have just done enough, which is, uh, you know, it's been not a great season, but uh, fingers crossed they can uh, pull it together over the summer, put on a good show for next season when they'll be on Sky in front of millions of viewers at home. But that is it for the West Ham show tonight. Stay with us because we'll have some final thoughts next. So there you have it. One of the craziest shows that I think we've ever done, Jonesy. It reminded me of the old Love Sport Radio days when we were actually doing live radio in the studio with the TV on in the corner, watching results as they came in from other clubs, Champions League games or whatever it was and trying to update the listeners on the live news as well as what was going on with West Ham. And that's sort of what we've had to do tonight. So anyone listening who's thinking, what the hell does that podcast sound like this week? The sections weren't in the order that they normally are. I didn't know what I was listening to. Well, look, just uh, like to apologise if that we've edited it slightly different this week to hopefully make it make sense more on the European Super League timeline. Because as the news was coming out, we started recording the podcast and, Chelsea hadn't gone yet and there were still fans including Tom outside protesting against that and by the end of it Chelsea have bailed out Man City it looks like have bailed out Ed Woodward looks like he's about to or has stepped down as Manchester United executive vice chairman and it all looks like the whole big thing has been built on sand all along it's collapsed before it's even got started which is of course fantastic news if that proves to be true, but uh, still very much in the midst of it at the moment. So already can't wait to chat to James and hopefully a returning Tom next week to cover what's happened. Jonesy, we'll leave the Fantasy Premier League this week because uh, we're midway through a game week anyway, and obviously far more pressing issues to discuss. So given everything that's happened, I'd just like to say thanks to our guest, first of all, Craig Forrest, who bear in mind we spoke to at five o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. Thank you to Chigi from the Chelsea Fancast, who we spoke to just about quarter past seven. And thank you, of course, to Rashane, who we spoke to last, just as the Ed Woodward news was breaking. So that will probably be the order the podcast is in. But Jonesy, on the European Super League, just quickly, because we were going to do a big detailed chat, the two of us, weren't we, about it all. But it looks like the whole thing is flopping and falling to bits before it's even started. So... 
we don't want to waste too much time on that because we'll leave our listeners listening to something that that might be old and out of date. So what I'll do, Jonesy, just as part of our wrap up, uh, some of the notes I made earlier, I'm just going to give you some quick fire questions. Are you all right with that? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay. Right. The general European Super League reaction. So would you have just said, assuming it was going to go, stuff it, just let them go, just let them go and do it completely cut them off of the Premier League. We'll carry on doing what we're doing all perhaps be it with some some lower money but I don't care as long as I can got a football team I can go and watch every week with my mates and competing in a similar format to what we know now stuff the rest of them what do you think of that yeah no that's exactly how I felt at the time I thought you know if if it means that they're kicked out of the Premier League then then absolutely fine you know let them go you know they'll soon realise that the grass isn't always greener and um I did feel there was a part of me that thought, actually, you know what, this is probably what English football needs is a bit of a reset. It would have meant, you know, a, probably a little bit of reform in terms of how the money's distributed down the down the rest of the Premier League clubs and, and the rest of the, the pyramid. But, um, and that's probably what, you know, the, particularly in the EFL, that's probably what they could have done with as well was a little bit of redistribution of, of how the funds are, are, are divvied out without those top six that take, take a large chunk of the money. So, yeah. I was all for it. It would have been probably a rough few years to for clubs to acclimatise with, you know, they probably would have to let a couple yeah. of players go because of because of big money. But then we just go again. Football survived for for a long, long time before the big money arrived. And if it were to disappear, I'm pretty sure football would continue to survive. It would find a way. Um, so, yeah. You know, if that's what they wanted to do, then let them go. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Okay. Uh, is it time... To hit out at GSB, I've seen a few fans on Twitter this week saying, oh, Sullivan and Goldwood are taking the money. And I've, to be honest, I've found it a little bit distasteful. I think, come on, look, now's not the time for any of that. Now this is bigger than than our own club. And it's just conjecture anyway. It's not, it's not doing any good. And, you know, everyone knows who listens to this podcast. I'm not never out here banging the drum for David Gold, David Sullivan and, and Karen Brady. But, I just think it's not it's not the time to make those sort of comparisons. I just thought, you know, this is about much more than football. And all of a sudden, you know, the the prospect of of having no West Ham at all or West Ham run by Golden Sullivan and Brady, but in a Premier League that didn't really matter or the, and the whole thing had fallen apart, then all of a sudden people would have given their right arm to have a West Ham owned by GSB. And what did you make of, of, of those that, those comments and do you think it's a good time to be talking about it or not? I don't think I don't think it's the right time to, to start pointing fingers at them. Um, you know, there's a, you know, fans have still got every right and, and every reason to to still want 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 them out of the club. And you know, they, we, we already know that there are plans for those protests to continue once we're allowed back at the grounds. But I think you, you can't use a Super League that that they weren't involved in. Um, as a way to start pointing fingers at them again and and just using the fact that they probably would have taken a deal if they'd been invited. I know I asked Roshane next, I wanted his opinion on it, but um, I mean, it's, it's like saying, uh, I, I can't even think of a good analogy for it, but it just seems a little bit pointless to go, oh yeah, well, the, you know, our club would have taken it, so let's have a go at them for it. Well, you know, they didn't take it, they weren't offered it. Um, and Roshane was quite, quite rightly said, you know what? This year they've they've kept you know they've kept quiet ninety nine percent of the time, got the reds down and and that seems to be paying off on the pitch. Uh, doesn't mean to say that they're they're you know they're no longer uh, 
uh, out of the firing line in terms of the, where the fans are concerned. But this isn't the time to, to start having a pot. Yeah, fair enough. Well, look, we had a question in from Kev this week and I assured him uh, that we would address it. It came in yesterday on Monday, again, in the middle of the craziness. Um, so we told Kev we'd, we'd have a chat about it. So just quickly, Jonesy, this is from Kev. W at WHU underscore Kev on Twitter. Uh, question for the pod, please, lads. Would you swap GSB for Americans who would buy the club with debt and given the chance would sell the soul of the club for a chance in the European Super League? We all want better owners, but we need to be careful what we wish for. Thanks. What are your thoughts and what Kev's had to say there? It's, 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 I saw the tweet come in. I saw Kev's question come in the other day and it's, it's had me thinking about it ever since. We all want the club to be better. We, you know, we've all been kind of almost d- crying out for someone to come and buy us off GSB and and take us to that, you know, the the supposed next level. Now we've had an insight into potentially what that next level might look like, particularly if it was American owners. And um, yeah, maybe again, as I said before, maybe the grass isn't always greener. Uh, it's a difficult one because. It, uh, you know, we have every right to, to be calling for GSB to be selling the club, given what's happened over the last five to 10 years. But if that means what we've had a, a brief window or look into what that could mean moving forward, I don't know whether we might just be better off holding off, you know. Um, and then when you look at it as well, and I was meant to say this earlier, but if you take the pandemic, for example, the majority of those clubs involved, the English clubs, furloughed workers, made workers redundant, everything else, um, while they were trying to broker this 350 or £3.5 billion deal to break away from everyone else. West Ham didn't furlough a single worker, didn't make anyone redundant. Um, you know, with money comes comes greed um, and there's, there's, there's a lack of morality with a lot of them. So while we want them out, is the grass always green if it means more greed? I don't know. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult game to play. Yeah, I totally agree with you, mate. Just worth remembering, of course, that Albert Trips Albert Trip Smith is uh, one of West Ham's American directors. He's the third biggest shareholder in the club. Of course, he's uh, a shareholdership at the moment. I believe to be between about ten and fifteen percent. There were rumours last year, and I think they might more have been hopeful ones rather than realistic ones that he was planning a takeover and everyone was absolutely loving the prospect at the time. So, you know, we, I think what do you just think? on that though? Yeah. Just on that. I think you know, he, he's been on the board. I think he, he bought that 10%, I think three years ago, 2017 it was mate. Yeah. So four years ago. Um, and he's been, I don't know how involved he is with that, with that level of investment in terms of, of being on the board, but he, he's had an insight into, what the fans want, what the fans don't want, how they behave, what they like, what they don't like, um, and also how English footballers run. Um, so maybe uh, investment from someone like him or further investment from someone like him wouldn't be the worst idea. I think there's now a, a negative opinion on American owners in general because of what's just happened. But you know, when you've got someone like him who hasn't just bought the club from, from nothing and has not been involved in the club before purchasing, the feeling might be a little bit different, but we'll have to wait and see on that because nothing's really gone on, happened since those rumours came out, have they? 
No, 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 that's right. But just worth noting, of course, that there is already an American fairly significantly involved at West Ham United at the moment. But thanks for the question, Kev. Do get in touch if uh, if you've got anything else to ask me and the lads. James, uh, one more thing, that, or two more things, really. Uh, the 50 plus one model, I need to do a bit more reading into it, as I'm sure everyone does. But I think now is the time to do that. And I don't know about you, but I would absolutely love to see something like that in English football. Because I think otherwise, if there isn't, there's no, as Chigi was explaining then, Chelsea sort of have got a stake somewhat in in their, their club there with the pitch holders thing. Isn't it time that fans had a more active role in the club that means so much to them? I know we've had the guys from WHU ISA on uh, Hammers United, of course, on the podcast this season, who are part of the uh, Independent Supporters Advisory Group. Forgive me if I've got the exact name wrong, but the latest uh, Independent Supporters Representative Group, which is great, and we, you know, we were singing its praises at the time. But you know, is it just giving someone airtime around the table? Ultimately, are they going to listen? In Germany, you have a thing where you have to listen because these billionaire owners can only own forty nine percent of the club. Is that is that the way forward? Would you like to see that in England, and is it workable? I'd have to do a little bit more reading up about um, how how it actually works. I know the Bundesliga's official Twitter account, English um, speaking Twitter account, actually tweeted earlier today, um, going, "If you want to know more about you know the way that our clubs are run, I think there's only two clubs in the Bundesliga that aren't um, fifty plus one, um, and so they've got they've they've." published links to a lot of literature around around how that works and we do not reading up on that but the general concepts i think is brilliant you know the germans are so proud uh, of the fact that the majority of their clubs are are fan fan owned um and you know it clearly works over there it, it clearly works it's you know okay buy and win it more years off more yeah. often than not but it's getting more competitive it is getting more competitive you know um so I think if it can be done, great. I just wonder. I wonder how it can be implemented. I almost, like how, how does how, how do you implement that? Yeah, have we gone too far now? Basically, yeah, yeah. Well, perhaps we'll have a chat about that later on in the season, mate. We've covered loads already, but uh, you know what? In a weird way, I'd rather one team just won it every year, and the other nineteen be really competitive. I think. Do you know what I mean? I'd rather have. Well, like one least... champion, and then the other nineteen go head to head for the other. Up. I'd enjoy that more, I think. At least there's six other clubs potentially fighting for a European spot. At least there's, you know, five, six other clubs fighting to stay in the in the division yeah, every yeah. season. So there's still so much to pay for, even if it is just one champion every year. You know, there's still still dreams to, to be had and to have going into every campaign, regardless of whether you know you're going to win it or not. Absolutely, mate. And uh, last, very last one before we wrap up, the independent regulator, Gary Neville, has been calling it, so he says, for 12 months. He's mentioned it again last night on Sky. Uh, Again, I'm all for it. I I just think it can't go on in its current guise because all that's going to happen, mate, unless something significant doesn't happen now, I feel, it will just come back in a new hat in a couple of years' time. It might be watered down a little bit. And, you know, it might just ultimately be a mega negotiating position, as uh, Chigi mentioned earlier in the show. But I think it's time for an independent regulator and a bit of a, why why not? A, the one thing that I would like to see from the flipping American leagues, probably the only one, 
is salary caps. We're at a level now where what's the point? Where is the benefit of like, I don't know, you're talking about Erling Haaland getting 550 grand a week is what he's asking for at his age. You know, Kevin De Bruyne or whatever signed a new contract at Man City is the best part of 400 grand once you add all the bits and pieces in. Do you know, isn't, can't we just cap salaries at 200 grand a week? Isn't that enough? I know it sounds a bit, I sound like a bit of an old deer, but I just think if you, what, otherwise, if you don't cap it somewhere, this is only going to happen again, isn't it? Because the problem comes from fans and brands want to have the best players to sell, sell shirts. So they sell, they pay more and more wages to these blokes and therefore they need to sell more and more shirts, more and more TV rights, more and more um, tickets, whatever it might be more and more things to sell which makes it feel more corporate anyway automatically because then you've got as we've seen at west ham you know all of a sudden everything's for sale then isn't it um do you do you understand what i'm saying i find yeah. just the the continual chase for money i think if you just capped it then you have more one thing that is good about american sports the nfl particularly is that with the salary cap there i know they have the trade the draft system which is slightly complicates it but there's far more onus on good coaches and good plays and getting the best out of these players. Bill Belichick is one of the finest NFL coaches probably in history, but certainly in the recent era for the New England Patriots. Again, there's people who don't like what the Patriots stand for, et cetera, et cetera. But there is more onus on getting the best out of what you've got. You know what I mm. mean? And and I, although they don't have relegation, there is a, I quite like the way that they keep the competition fresh and, because ultimately, James, football these days, it's just whoever wins the league is going to be one of the richest clubs, isn't it? And uh, where's the fun in that? Where's the excitement in I what think... we've already got, really? I feel that the game's already dying. This would have definitely killed it. And it looks like we've saved it. But, you know, it's, it's got to be about more than money, surely. The tr- the trouble, I mean, it's, it's, it's about more than money for everyone apart from the club owners. No. The fans don't don't really care. Mm. If when you think about it, I don't care how much how much we pay for, and I we talk about it when we're talking about transfers, whether a player's worth an X amount of money in today's market. But really, do you really care? It's not really your money that that they're spending on. Um, no, I care I know, more on about Jesse Lingard. I care more. But about you what care more about what's going on in the pitch, the fabric of the game, mate. Yeah. No, the, what yeah. it does to the fabric of the but game what, with all the spending. But yeah, but I'm getting getting to that. What when it comes to the the salary caps, I think it's a good idea in practice. But how do you implement that now? When yeah. you've got Kevin De Bruyne on four hundred grand a week, what and then you go right? Okay, well, the salary cap two hundred grand. Yeah, Chinese Super League did it. And just say any any like um, contract starting from now can't go or I don't know give them. 12 months or no starting from the beginning of next season obviously any existing contracts aren't affected um mm. and they can they carry on and say oh the chinese super league just done it didn't they with their foreign players thing you can implement rules it's, it's again yeah it's that period it's... of uncomfortable period but two or three seasons of a bit uncomfortableness and football adjusting for another you know for your little boy to have a lifetime of, of supporting West Ham in a similar fashion to, to what we have. Yeah, no, I, I do agree. Um, do you know what? That's actually been one of the things that the last few days have really bothered me about. 
just thinking I might look, I, I might lose the opportunity to be able to introduce West Ham to my son when he gets to an age where I can actually do that, and and he might never actually witness proper football. Years of mediocrity, football. like we have. <laughs> Years of mediocrity, and I can, I, I, I have to just tell him that I oh, one day I support a football club that was more often than not rubbish. Fourteen, but but it was, but it was well worth it when we occasionally beat Spurs, and oh, on that one season where we got into the Champions League, uh, but went out, finished bottom of the group, and went out very very quickly. <laughs> but it was good, it was good while it lasted. But yeah, I mean, I was worried that I was going to lose that, and he was going to grow up and go, oh, I want to support Tottenham which is already a worry. Mm. Um, and then I was going to have to then worry about him going, well, he's definitely going to pick Tottenham because, you know, they're a London club playing in the Super League. So, yeah, you know, yeah, they're yeah. going to pick him. So, yeah. but yeah, some no, sort not... of financial financial um, regulation control, regulation, yeah. um, which is far better than the current uh, financial fair play rules, which mm. it's pointless anyway. Um, it needs to be done. It's just how they do it and how they implement it. And it has to be, across Europe and not in just one or two leagues that fancy it has to be continent wide. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, I'm not, I know people say, Oh, it's not a free market, blah, blah, blah. I'm not some rampant communist socialist, uh, red or dead sort of bloke. You know what I mean? But all I think is as, as this whole situation has proved football to the fabric of this company, it's, it's woven in with whatever tens of millions of people do. If you ask, of, you know, uh, go up to a football fan in the street who you don't know whether you knew they're a football fan or not. But if you are a football fan and someone asks you who you don't know, oh, tell me three things about yourself. You're likely to say your name, your age, and the football team you support. So many people yep. in this country, the football team they support is a real primary part of their identity. You think of all the you know West Ham fans that I know, or West Ham fans on Twitter, or fans of other clubs as well. For so many. It's it's the most exciting thing that it's not whether they're you know whatever they're doing during the week laying bricks running cable and building sites sitting behind a desk at an office or a, you know a, tra- a trader up in the city whatever people do for a living often the football team they support is is f- more you know it's, it's forefront of their being and who they are and what they identify as and I think because of that. Everyone's noticed that this week, even the government and both all political parties have sat up and noticed. I think it if you regulate it to try and protect it, then mm. it doesn't matter if it slightly goes against free market principles of capitalism and all that sort of thing. It doesn't matter if it's just if it's because it's a thing that's the fabric of the nation and a thing that matters so much to so many. Like I said earlier, the high street shops, all those sort of things people aren't that bothered about those and the market forces they do what they do but with football it means so much more and it should not ever be at the behest of what the richest on the planet wants to do with it just because they've got their claws in it should never be like that so i think hopefully it looks like this uh european super league thing has died a death already and i really hope mate that it's the platform and the the trigger that football fans across the land have to go, actually, you know what? Yeah. All right. We've escaped that one, but actually the way football was before wasn't all that great either. And, and I really, really hope it's a catalyst for change. How's yeah. that for a summary? That's brilliant. 
Perfect. Excellent stuff. Well, look, mate, let's wrap up, shall we? This has been a long one tonight. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Do follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. You can watch us on YouTube as well. It'll be a good one to watch tonight. If you haven't already, you can see the passion in our faces. And uh, James is very excellently decorated living room behind him so at we are underscore west ham on twitter scroll down to the description in the podcast below for the link to our youtuber on instagram as well and you can of course support the podcast uh support the podcast buy us a beer at buymeacoffee.com slash we are west ham thanks very much to you guys uh, who did it in the week as well leave us a review as well five stars some nice words all of those things and look james no fancy uh, exit speeches from me this week all i'll say is it's been absolutely heartwarming to see everyone pull together to what it looks like at the moment at nine o'clock on tuesday evening crumble the european super league the greedy breakaway division that would have just been harlem globetrotter friendlies till the end of our time i'm so glad that everyone has come together and it's fallen down so power to the people thanks for listening everyone up the hammers and we'll see you next week Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.